Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Welcome to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's another edition of the BFT. It's good to be with you. JC taking some well-deserved time off this week. Which makes sense. We're, what, 11, 12 days away from Week Zero college football. you got to get that time off while you can before you hit the grind for Pac-12 play. And, of course, we start with college football. AP Top 25 is out. And, of course, we had the coaches poll last week. That might have been the end of the week before. I think it was last week. USA Today coaches poll came out. Now we have the AP Top 25 no surprise whatsoever who's on top. I mean, frankly, the top four and a half is just a who's who of the last decade of college football. Alabama running away with it. 54 first place votes. They are atop the AP top 25. It's not close in the poll. And I got a feeling, barring something crazy, it's not going to be really that close on the field either. Alabama's so good. Obviously, bringing back Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner. Of course, Will Anderson on the defensive side. You had Saban calling it a rebuilding year. And when he did that a couple weeks ago, you know, I go, man, that's just Nick Saban being arrogant, being absurd, being Nick Saban, frankly. But then I thought about it. Rebuilding doesn't necessarily mean you're bad. You can be great while still be rebuilding. And they really were in a lot of position groups. They were young. They were inexperienced. Yeah, they were also incredibly talented. But I think he was sort of right. Alabama, to me, I mean, look, they're scary every year. They are especially scary this year. Ohio State does snag six first-place votes. They're second. Georgia coming off the national championship, sending like what, 74 defensive players to the NFL in uh, this summer's draft. They still come in third. They get three first-place votes. Clemson, number four. It's the same four teams every year, just in uh, varying order. Number five, Notre Dame. That's interesting. This is where things get a little bit tricky. Five to, what, 12, 13, 14, 15? You can sort of put them in any order. Notre Dame, fifth. You have Texas A&M sixth. You have your first Pac-12 team defending champ Utah comes in at seventh without looking. I'm sure that that's their highest preseason ranking uh, in recent memory, if not in all of uh, all time. Michigan comes in at number eight. Michigan high hopes this year. Of course, they did beat Ohio State last year. Finally, good job, Harbaugh. Oklahoma at nine. Baylor 10. Your Oregon Ducks come in at ranked 11th. Oklahoma State 12. NC State 13. Your final Pac-12 team, USC. It's so funny. You look at these uh, last year's records, and everyone's you know thirteen and two or ten and four, whatever. USC four and eight last year. Obviously, they add some big time weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, new star quarterback, new star receiver. What they hope 
is a star running back coming from Eugene and one Travis Dye. Uh, the USC ranked 14th. Now, I do have uh, Sean McPherson, Stephen Vaughn with me. I want to kick this around. No surprise, Alabama, number one. Frankly, no surprise in the top four. Notre, none of it really surprises me. Notre Dame at five doesn't surprise me, but I think you're sort of getting into uh, preseason guesswork territory there. But I want to talk about SC at 14, Oregon at 11, Utah at seven. Guys, your snap reaction to this. Yeah, I mean, I think they're about right except for USC just because I'm a little lower in USC than I think the national media is and maybe even people in the I as well in the Pac-12 area like I, I I need to see it first before I'm ready to buy in and say they're a top 15 team they're really a Pac-12 contender to win the conference just because of all the transfers they got in and you know Peter you're a big basketball guy you know that you can bring in transfers in basketball and the chemistry isn't as big of a deal but in football is such a team game and they've brought in so many good players how does it mesh in year one? I don't know. I need to see before I'm ready to put them in the top 15. Yeah, I think my uh, my gut reaction to this, I think Utah at seven, it's it's pretty high for them. Like, it's a good ranking. You mentioned it might be the highest all time. But, like, I look at the teams above them, and it's just such a wash after, I think, after the top three. Like, the top three is obvious here. But Clemson's unproven. Like, Clemson didn't even make a New Year's Bowl last year. Notre Dame, you know, they have a pretty much a first-year head coach. Uh, Texas A&M, like, when's the last time that they've been really relevant? I know they've been recruiting their tails off, oh, but, yeah. uh, and they have Jimbo Fisher, but I, I, those are unproven's in front of Utah. So, I dare I say, and maybe this is the Pac-12 bias in me, that Utah should be even higher than seven. I think Oregon at 11 is uh, it, it's pretty fair, considering uh, what they lost and the season that they had last year kind of up and down. And that uh, USC, I, I think 14's uh, about right. But it's just, uh, like I said, it's just like it's the top three, and then it's just such a wash. Like Clemson being at four, I'm not even sure how good Clemson is this year. Uh, I know they have a really good defense, but they have quarterback issues. And um, I think it's just going into the season, it's pretty clear who the top three are. And I think almost every college football playoff prediction is going to have Bama, Ohio State, Georgia. But that fourth team is is kind of, uh, it's pretty open. And for me, it, it might be Utah right now with what they return. I mean, truly, truly. I mean, the clear favorites in the Pac-12. And you, you mentioned, you know, and you make a great point about Clemson. I guess it's, it's the, we've seen the same four teams for basically a decade here. But I sort of agree with you, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia. I'll even take that one step uh, further. I mean, Georgia is so good coming off the natty. They lost a lot of talent. They replaced a lot of talent with more talent. But Bama and Ohio State, and granted, we haven't played any games yet, but Bama and Ohio State, to me, fellas, they're really in a class all their own. Oh, totally. I'd be shocked if uh, either of those teams don't make the playoff. I mean, I know Michigan's really good, and like there's some other good teams in the Big Ten, but Ohio State, just with what they return in terms of quarterback, I think C.J. Stroud's the Heisman favorite in terms of running back, Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba is just incredible. Uh, and then they have other receivers like uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. So, yeah, Ohio State's crazy. And Bama. Bama has got plus 175 national championship That's odds. insane. That is like, to think about the season hasn't even started yet, plus 175. Like, in what other sport can you have that low of odds to win a national title? But it just speaks to how stacked they are on both sides of the football. So, yeah, Georgia, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be they're going to be really good. They're going to have a tough schedule. The uh, the SEC is really, really good this year. So it, it might just be those two teams. Georgia's kind of that third, I think, in kind of the tier of their own. But Bama and Ohio State are going to be incredible this year. Yeah, I kind of think that 
the top four for me is pretty easy to put Clemson at four. But it's not necessarily that I think that those four are going to make college full playoff, but I think it's easy to put Clemson there. They were 10-3 and three a season ago, and they lost games to Georgia by seven points, who ended up winning the national title. They lost at NC State by six points, who ended up being a really good team, and then lost to the ACC champs in Pitt, who had a first-round quarterback. So for how bad their offense was, and it was anemic, they still won 10 games and were actually pretty close to making the college football playoff a season ago. So I think any type of improvement on the offense side of the ball, and Clemson is going to be right there again at the top of the ACC. Yes, I'm excited for everything to get underway. I like Oregon at 11. I think it's one of those things where my first glance I go, that's fairly generous. And then I realized, no, I think that's about right. You know, I mean, obviously their week one matchup against Georgia is going to be telling. I certainly don't expect them to win that game. I don't think anyone does. What's the spread on that uh, last time we checked? It's probably about 18 and a half. Do you think the Oregon ranking, Peter, has anything to do with the fact that they played Georgia and then they could advertise it as number three versus 11? uh, You took that right. Right yeah. out of my brain, man. That's exactly what I think they're doing. And that's not to say that Oregon doesn't deserve to be there, like that they shouldn't be ranked or they should only be ranked like 23rd or something like that. This seems about right to me, somewhere between 14 and 11, maybe 10. And I think maybe by having it just a little bit higher, it makes that matchup just a little bit more high profile to uh, obviously it's huge here in the state of Oregon. We're on statewide, you know, including on in Eugene. Obviously, we don't care about the rankings we're ready for the matchup you know you know they'll be ready in georgia but for maybe your average viewer uh who's just ready to get some college football on you know living in nebraska or something like that hey that's a pretty good matchup let's go yeah and uh currently right now you can get georgia minus 17 so it has gone oregon's way Mm. it was at 18 and a half i know maybe even 19 to start out it's all the way down to 17 exactly at minus 110 so Mm, a little bit of money yeah a little bit of money is coming in in oregon right now yeah I, i i think i tend to agree with that and again like if you're just asking me on the money line i mean I'm, I'm taking Georgia. There's no way There's no way not to. But I do think that Oregon is going to compete in this game. I think Dan Lanning's going to be fired up. And, I, you know, I've been on record. I say I wonder if in the first, you know, just week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe there might be some of the, the game management questions. You know, the first time in charge, truly being the guy running, a, as he calls it, a program. So there are always questions with that. Of course, you know, with our, the last head coach that was in Eugene, those questions persisted for a couple years. You're hoping to avoid that this time. But, you know, if you can dodge that, you're fired up. It's your old team. You got talent. We already know the dude can recruit. We assumed that he could recruit. Now we've seen it. By the way, Dante Moore did just jump up to number two overall in the ratings uh, rankings. I saw that this morning. Uh, it's going to be a great game. I think the Ducks are going to be especially fired up. I think Dan Lanning is really, he's an unassuming, he's kind of an aw shucks guy. He understands that, hey, football isn't everything. But I got a feeling that he's burning to really compete in this one. Even if you don't get it, you roll in, you lose, you know, by a late touchdown or something like that. And everyone kind of goes, whoa, nationwide, whoa, this Oregon team might be legit. Yeah, I mean, if Oregon can keep it close, I think that's big for the Pac-12, along with the Utah-Florida game. Obviously, that's another big one. But I'm with you. Like, you, Oregon's got to find a way to keep it keep it close in that game against Georgia to get some respect for themselves in the Pac-12 and just get some confidence for later on in the season. Because I do think they're the most talented team in the Pac-12 and should be in the Pac-12 title game. Like, that should be the expectation. So yes. if you come out in week one and you battled Georgia, who just won the national title, I mean, I think it's going to do a lot for your uh, for your psyche. Yeah, and I think for people saying that Oregon's going to get pushed around in this game and that a Pac-12 team, you know, playing in the same game as an SEC power that just won the national title, here's be my pushback to that. Oregon's got an SEC head coach. They've got an SEC quarterback. 
They've got Kenny Dillingham, who worked at Auburn just a couple of years ago. And then, like, initially with this game, the skills position guys scared me a little bit because they're all young. But then Oregon brought in some guys like Caleb Chapman, who transferred from Texas A&M. Chase Coda, who played really well against LSU last year. And I know that LSU Had him on the show on great. Friday, too, yeah. Right. And then Oregon on defense, you know, he uh, they have some guys like Noah Sewell, like DJ Johnson, that, you know, like Justin Flo week one. He's going to be, you know, hopefully healthy and ready to go for that game. They've got some monsters that are SEC-level players on defense. So in terms of Oregon stacking up and in terms of Oregon knowing how to play against SEC teams, I think there are some pieces both coaching and on the roster that are going to be able to know what a Georgia is like. Yeah, man, re- really quickly, we talked about this on the uh, the local show here in Portland, the Pulse, last Friday. But, man, can we please get Noah Sewell and Justin Flo actually playing together for a full season? Can we please get that? I mean, that, that would be amazing, right? Like, those are two different type of guys. Like, they're not just college guys. They're pro guys. And so to get those type of people against a team like Georgia where you need those athletes to push them around, man, I that would be yeah. so big because I'm opposite to you guys. Like I think if I'm putting my money down right now, I think I'm going Georgia right now. I just think that the athleticism and the unknown of Dan Lanning, just what he's going to do, uh, is a little too concerning for me. But, I mean, Oregon has some athletes. And so those are the two big ones, I think, for them. If they get them healthy, they can match up with Georgia. Yeah, one thing that I, I, I do want to kind of consider in this, too, is, look, Georgia just came off a national championship. And you can look at them and go, man, look, they sent, like, their entire defense to the NFL. You you don't think they've heard that? Oh, the defense is going to be a, down a notch because they had all these guys. Those guys are going to be fired up to show, no, wait a second. We still had good guys that we've brought in. We had good guys behind these NFL players. They are going to be fired up as well. Yeah, and I mean, to have Dan Lanning be their defensive coordinator a season ago, yeah. and he's coaching them up last season now to say, you know, we're going to go against him. It's not about his system. It's about us as the players. I think that has a lot to do with it. Too. Yeah, man, I can not wait for college football. Can't wait. By the way, uh, I did just uh, drop a... Obviously, I can't really make the commute. Don't really uh, want to spin the scratch. Not duck season tickets. Not beef. I, I did grab some Portland State season tickets hey, today. Oh, nice. Got to support the alma mater. It is astonishing. By the way, Portland State, got to shout you out. It is unbelievable how affordable those were. Uh, even a, a working man like myself could do it. Great seats, you know, and I know they're just doing it out in Hillsborough. They have the one game in Providence Park. I'll go ahead and say it. Guess how two adults and a kid, season tickets, Guess how much that costs? I have no idea now based on what you just said. A couple hundred? 225 bucks. Oh, there you Seriously. Go. I, yeah, I get it. It's, you know. Yeah, it's, what, six it's, games? Yeah. And I get it like it, man. It's, yeah, okay. It, it ain't Eugene. It's not Austin. But, like, really for that price? Right. That's Entertainment, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah like, get us fired up. Like 40. I mean, you do the math there. It's like 40, 40 a pop, basically. A little less. $40 per game. Yeah. Is there a game you're looking most forward to, Portland State? Is there a certain game that really stood out? Because they go to Seattle, to Washington yeah, this year. Yeah, they, they, they do. Yeah, it's not at home. No, there's nothing really I'm looking forward to more than anything else. Just want to uh, enjoy the experience. A consistent Saturday experience for you this fall. I've been, because I wanted to do it last year. This is before you were here. But the show was on Saturdays. I had a Saturday show, and I was like, man, I'll only be able to make like two of these games. So there's no sense in dropping the scratch. But again, now, uh, you know, the pulse has moved to, to weekdays. I got Saturday 
holidays free. I've been a bad alum. You're going to be out there giving out NIL money to all these guys now. I will be, man. Number Actually, one donor. That's what I should really yeah. be doing. I should get down on the sidelines and hassle <laughs> Barnum. Man, give me some players. Let's let's work a deal. Let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> all right. We'll go and come back. More, uh, more college football talk on the other side. Stuart Mandel in The Athletic. As much as I've said I'm going to cancel my subscription because they don't have any local coverage, I have not yet. And Stuart Mandel had an excellent piece. I don't know if this dropped last night or early this morning. I saw it this morning in Oral History of the Pac-12 Network, and it is something else. I will share that with you next. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. Got Stephen Vaughn. Got Sean McPherson with me. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson and for John Canzano. It's the bald-faced truth on the BFT radio network. I was uh, browsing a uh, baseball site during the commercial break, and there's a picture of Ty Cobb, quote-unquote, sliding into home plate. I've just retweeted it at Peter Sampson. By sliding into home plate, I mean he's Bruce Lee karate kicking a catcher right in the junk. I mean, it's it's literally like a martial arts move, and that's how he slides into home plate. That is, uh, look, we all know Ty Cobb was a jerk in real life. It looks like he uh, took his baseball quite seriously as well, uh, in addition to being a uh, well, reportedly terrible human being. Uh, college football is in the air. Stuart Mandel at The Athletic this morning. Every time I think I'm going to cancel The Athletic, they put out something good like this. You know, the first when uh, I realized, I'll be honest, it started when they got rid of all their Timbers and Thorns coverage. I said, man, they've even got someone on the Timbers beat, the Thorns beat. It's incredible. Caitlin Murray, I think, is who was doing it at the time. She's with Oregon Live, at least last I checked. And uh, they get rid of that, and I go, oh, well, well, we've got, you know, Ducks, Beavers, Blazers, of course. Well, Tyson Alger fantastic journalist, friend of this program at the I-5 Corridor, um, left to start the I-5 Corridor. Uh, They haven't replaced him. I know the season gets underway here shortly. Maybe they'll announce someone in the next couple weeks. It's been a while, and they don't seem to, as far as I can tell, have someone dedicated uh, to the Oregon Ducks. They, before that, didn't have someone truly dedicated to the Beavers, as in on the Beavers beat. You get things from guys every once in a while uh, related to those two teams, and they're talented journalists. And then so that happens. I go, man, I think I'm going to lose this thing. And then uh, Jason Quick stepped away uh, from the Blazers beat. He's uh, dealing with some personal things. And, of course, we wish him the best. He's one of the best, you know, uh, Portland Trailblazers, NBA writers in general uh, in uh, recent times here in this area. He stepped away, and they haven't named a replacement for him yet. And when you look at the amount of money that the athletic is making and or not making, you wonder if they're even going to replace these guys or if they're just going to continue that kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, 5,000-foot elevation broad look at sports and then continue to try to pimp their podcasts. All the content is fine, but this is not what I was sold when I signed up for the athletic. Now, I did get as far as canceling once. And uh, they said, are you sure? We'll give it to you for half price. And I said, yeah, I'm sure. And they said, are you sure? We'll give it to you for a dollar a month. And I said, okay. 
That time's about to come up. It's been a year. I'm about to lose my dollar a month, so I'm going to cancel again. Someone from The Athletic is listening. Please just get writers where you said they would be. I know people that write for The Athletic like it. They make a decent living. It's tough living, sports journalism. And they like it because they're not forced to do clickbait in order to generate revenue. It's just you're a great writer. Go write on the things that are relevant. Produce content. It's going to be good. It was a great agreement. Let's just stick to the agreement when you launched this bad boy. Can we? I digress. Stuart Mandel did have an excellent piece in The Athletic. And it's an oral history of the Pac-12 network. And if you're listening to this show, the odds are you live in the state of Oregon or southern Washington. And I know there's people out there all across the country. Um, But we're all familiar with the Pac-12 network, what it's done well, what it has not done well. What it has done well, but it hasn't mattered because things behind the scenes were not done well, which is the vast majority of it. And it's kind of been a disaster since the beginning. And this oral history is really interesting because it was a really fair look. And I know we all kind of like to jump on the Pac-12 network and criticize it. But it was really uh, it was really clear talking about how the actual content that they produce is very good. It really is. And technologically, at the time when they launched about a decade ago, it was sort of innovative in how they, you know, they weren't pumping out, you know, studio trucks to 840 events a year, whatever it is, how everything was coming through the pipeline. But of course, not being on direct TV has always been the major sticking point, one of a couple sticking points. Well, and I didn't know this exactly, but they did come close once. September of 2015, AT&T, already a conference partner, when they took over DirecTV. And I remember when that happened, I said, oh, I wonder if the Pac-12 network will finally be available. And it never was, and I never thought about it again. But according to a summary of the proposal provided to the conference CEO group, and uh, The Athletic did get a hold of this, a potential deal there, which almost happened, it would have netted a projected $35 million in revenue, in the first year. If you're not great at math, that's just under $3 million a school. Would have put the network on DirecTV's choice tier, which would put the Pac-12 in about 16.5 million new households nationwide. Pac-12 Network's entire subscriber base at its peak was about 19 million, so it would have nearly doubled it, and it's since, per John Wilner, another friend of the show, has decreased. Larry Scott, even. This is where you expect me to come in and say Larry Scott declined it, right? No, Larry Scott recommended that offer to the conference presidents and chancellors for approval. The network would have been available on DirecTV as soon as that weekend, but here's the issue. There was a catch. As part of the deal, the 12 universities would be required to spend in the seven figures annually on AT&T telecom services. So the company would have had to have become a preferred provider. The presidents voted against that. And that makes sense to me. But in hindsight, as we're nearing the end of this deal, Pac-12 Network, I I don't know how it stays. Something's going to happen here. And it's sad to say because I have enjoyed the content. Just so many issues. First of all, we didn't need seven Pac-12 Networks. We needed one. I get the idea of having the regional, <laughs> the regional subsets of a regional network. I understand that. Those are on their way out. It was just really difficult to fill all those channels 24 hours a day. But the, the real bummer to me 
uh, aside from the fact that a lot of households were that close to actually getting it on DirecTV, is the network Excel itself, if I'm ignoring all the issues, the behind-the-scenes stuff, the legal stuff, bad marketing decisions, bad leadership, the network itself is pretty good. It's pretty good. I uh, I went without Pac-12 network access for like four years. I did. And I finally had access to it again this year. Streaming has finally caught up. And I was able to just grab not just the Pac-12 network, but all the sub-networks. Spent a lot of time just fishing around. Every time I was bored and nothing was on, I'll just fire something up. The network itself is good. The on-air talent is pretty good. And I love the way that they do, even though it's not a big moneymaker like football and basketball, they do give exposure to sports that maybe don't necessarily see the light of day. It's kind of cool. I mean, and I remember their Olympic coverage. It was kind of better than NBC's in a lot of ways. So it is sad that it's ending this way. It's sad that obviously they couldn't work things out, but it's also sad reading these details. And there are so many more that I don't have time to to uh, cover here. I recommend you read Mandel's piece. It's sad that they were so close to getting that distribution and never got it. I don't know that we'd be telling a different story right now. Again, with you know UCLA and USC have left, and there's so much upheaval. That probably would have happened anyway, but it would have been a lot better experience for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the ultimate question is, would have helped for now. And it's unknown. To, it's impossible to know if it would or not, but it wouldn't have hurt. I can put it that way. Like you, all those things you just said, if they're on direct TV and they're out to everyone in the nation, they're out to everyone, you know, that can watch it in the Northwest and the California and Utah, all that kind of stuff. It would have at least helped. And there would be a better chance that USA and UCLA would still be in the PAC 12. So it is disappointing because I was a direct TV person and I didn't, couldn't watch the PAC 12 network. So, you know, I had to get a login, uh, for my brother to watch and stuff just on my phone. And it was just it's just a hassle when you're trying to watch these type of things and you have to watch it on your phone. You can't just turn on the TV and do it. So, yeah, it's disappointing that it didn't work out because it had so much potential, I think. And the Pac-12 was in such a situation where they were going after teams like Texas and Oklahoma back in the day. If they would have executed this plan and they got a teams like those, like maybe the Pac-12 is the Big Ten and they're getting teams, not the Big Ten. Yeah, I – uh my thoughts on the Pac-12 network, I totally agree with you that they do great coverage of some of the sports that don't get as much recognition. Those happen to be sports that I really care about, you know, sports like cross country, track and field, volleyball, uh, softball, you know, and they always do a great job of their broadcast quality with uh, with those kinds of sports, but sometimes there will be events that I really want to watch, and it doesn't feel like I, I've never really had access to the Pac-12 network. I use YouTube TV. They still don't seem to have an agreement with YouTube yeah. TV. Like, I think we have uh, DirecTV here, and we have the Pac-12 network, but I think a lot of households in this region do not have the uh, Pac-12 network. And uh, there are, you know, I throw on YouTube TV at home. Of course, I live in Oregon. I get the ACC network. I get the SEC network. It's, you know, it's par- partnered up with, uh, with ESPN. The Big Ten network is on my TV, but yeah. not the Pac-12 network. And for a while, they did a great job of... Uh, or for at least a second, you know, they did a great job of like, you could go on YouTube and get free access to whatever they were streaming. I don't know if that was like an illegal thing or not, but there was times where I was able to watch those games on YouTube. Or I think they had an official Pac-12 network live stream. And, you know, it, once that was gone, like I, it's too expensive and it's not paired up with YouTube TV. I had no way of watching Pac-12 stuff and they carry a lot of games. Like they had like big time football games in the Pac-12 network. Like, Every year feels like Oregon, Oregon State. If it's not on ESPN, it's on uh, the Pac-12 yeah, network. So. Yeah, it is. And that's what was challenging. And especially you mentioned the other regional networks. I mean, 
I, I've had cable. I, I've actually never had DirecTV, but I've had cable. You know, Comcast, like we have here. I've had multiple streaming Comcast, services. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, oh, it's all good. And, you know, I've had Sling TV. I've had this. I've had that. And all of them, you know, oh, the SEC Network being pumped at me. ACC Network being pumped at me. The Big Ten channels being pumped at me. Meanwhile, there's college football going down, you know, 45 minutes down the road, you know, down I-5. I can't watch Games it. we care about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Games that I'm supposed to come on here and talk to, like, 40,000 people about, I can't get it. I I, I use Fubo. That gives you, uh, you get the base level, and then you can add, like, a sports package. I think it's, like, $12.99 a month extra. It gets you MLB TV, NHL Network, NBA TV, Red Zone, and the, the Pac-12 Networks with all the, the subdivisions. That's a great value, but just the base Fubo, it's it's expensive. It'll also get you the Blazer games as well because they have root where a lot don't. It's, this whole thing is such a mess, and... Fans are just caught in the middle, guys, because ultimately what's happening is the regional networks, They're, if we're being honest, they're going the way of the Dodo. It's just going to take like 20 more years for it to get there, but they're all going away. And meanwhile, all we want to do is sit down and just watch the games, and we're happy to shell out a few bucks to do it. You can't charge me 150 bucks a month. No one can afford that, but if it's a reasonable price, we'll pay for it, and we're just being pushed into other directions. I mean, realistically... Sports is one of the last things that you need to watch live, right? Like, yeah. you don't have to watch reality TV. You don't have to watch these shows that will be streaming on, you know, Netflix or HBO Max, like, the next day. Sports is kind of the one thing you still need to watch live. And so, like you said, Peter, people are going to pay for it as long as it is reasonable. And that's where they're messing up is they're just asking for too much. It's 2022, and a lot of Portland can't even watch the Blazers. Like, that is yeah. insane to me that that is even a thing. Yeah, and and I know what happened there. I know what happened is they were sold, uh, you know, the decision maker, I guess it's McGowan, who is off to do other things now. He was sold, look, we're going to get into this footprint in Washington, Idaho, even western Montana. We're going to expand this footprint, and we're going to be in, and I'm just going to pick a made-up number right now, so bear with me. We're going to get into 400,000 new households that never had a chance to become Blazers fans before. And you go, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. And already, uh, you know, uh, NBC Sports Northwest, formerly Comcast Sports Northwest, like, I mean, there were challenges there, and NBC was just shutting their regional channels down already. And once the Blazers were done, th- that channel ceased to exist. Where Root Sports, it's like, hey, we got the Mariners, we have the, the MLS stuff. But what wasn't taken into account is that Roo Sports was literally created by a cable company to keep people on cable, man. And it's a miracle that they even got a streaming deal with Fubo done. But again, here we are a year later, a year. This all started going down last August, if I remember, maybe even July. YouTube TV, still not on there. Can't do it. Sling TV, not on there. I had to get Fubo. I like Fubo because their whole thing is live sports. And if you uh, want a little tip, uh, I am not a financial advisor, but uh, I personally am invested in Fubo because that live betting's coming to that overlay screen soon. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. You can get stats overlaid on your screen pretty soon. That I'm telling you that uh, draft, uh, and I'm not going to say DraftKings because I don't know if they're the partner, but I'm telling you they're working on that, and it's going to be rad. But anyway, like it's a miracle they even got that done with Fubo, but. If you don't want to spend, again, I don't have the highest level. I just have the base plus this add-on. It's, it's 100 bucks a month. I don't watch that much TV. So at what cost just to watch the Blazers? It's such a challenge. Yeah, and it's, it's just disappointing that in the world you have to make these decisions based on money of how much you want to pay to watch the things you want to watch.
right? Like it's just, it's just, yeah. it should be so much easier and it's just not. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line, illegal streaming and pirating look, I mean, you shouldn't do it, but what the studies really show is consumers will pay for your product if they can find it and you're not going to ask for their firstborn kid or an arm and a leg. When things were easy and affordable with, uh, we'll just talk entertainment, you know, music, movies, all that kind of stuff, pirating went down. Now that you have to have 14 different services, oh, look at that. Illegal content acquisition is back up. Who knew? People are willing to pay you, companies. They are. But you just have to make it reasonable. We'll be back. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald face truth on the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate you rolling with me on your Monday. Today is August 15th. And that's meaningful because that means it is the start of Burger Week here in Portland. Do you guys get down with Burger Week? Sure. I didn't even know it was a thing. Oh, man, yeah. What am I missing? The Mercury's Burger Week, basically here it is, is uh, restaurants slash pubs slash, well, frankly, bars. Uh, So it's presented by the Mercury. One-of-a-kind burgers at a bunch of different establishments. The price, it's all set at 8 bucks. And it's unbelievable stuff. And it's kind of a, you, you get a, like a little competition. But really what it is, is you get to go around, you you see what all these places have, and you go and you try their burger for Burger Week. Like, right off the bat, so you have like New Seasons, Chili Pimento Burger, grass-fed beef patty with pimento cheese, roasted green chilies, pickle chips, and shredded lettuce that's on a pearl bakery bun so it's not it looks like a brioche it's not quite a brioche and you go okay well that sounds incredible and then you uh you go to another joint here and they'll have like a like a poke style uh you know burger or something like that yahala has a beef shawarma burger nick's cody island has the big nick and they're all these incredible creations if you uh, do a Google search, you can even see what the burgers are ahead of time here. And some of these are Beyond PB JJ Bacon Cheese Burger, a Bone Marrow Burger, Chorizo Chili Cheese Burger, Buffalo Ranch Burger, Crispy Onion Oklahoma Burger. Some of these look so awesome. A French Onion Dip Burger at Wolf's Wolfhead Smokehouse. I am all about this. So if you've never participated in Burger Week, fellas, Man, find the list online. Migration Brewing. I enjoy Migration. They have great beer. You can go get a jalapeno popper burger there. Just pick a couple out. You know they're not going to surprise you. Oh, 25 bucks for this burger. Everything's 8 bucks. It's all world class. They all want that crown. It's awesome. Highly recommended. Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures right here, man. This is, uh, I think I found my new thing. <laughs> like, I'm in. I'm in on this. Yeah, it's it's great stuff here, and I'm already kind of picking out what exactly am I going to do because that's I'm not, the tough part. There's so many different options, Peter. Like, how do you how do you, I mean, what is your go to number of burgers that you can go with? Are you a two guy? Are you a three guy? What do you what do you go with? When they're big like this, man, if I'm talking one sitting, I'm just having one. Yeah. But the thing is, is maybe you want to grab one for lunch and then hit a second one for dinner. Like uh, the very last one on the list, the the Woodsman Butter Burger, the Woodsman Taverns, like five blocks from my house, so I know I'm going there, even though it only looks okay. But the the yeah. Sudra, the spicy pakora chicken burger looks really good. 
the Greek treat at John's Marketplace. Again, I'm always hyping John's. They've got one here. Let me take a look at uh, I'm going to click into this bad boy and see exactly what they've got. Mediterranean-style patty. It's ground pork and chicken mixed with uh, Mediterranean herbs and spices on a brioche bun with harissa, red onions, and arugula. That sounds fantastic. And then, of course, if you're at John's, you get a pint of whatever you're looking for and knock that down. What's standing out to you, man? I'm checking out this uh, jalapeno popper burger right now. Oh, at Migration. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's looking pretty, pretty good. If you've there. never been to Migration Brewing, too, they have an excellent selection of uh, IPAs and uh, various other delicious yeah. beers. Migration's fantastic. Jalapeno vinaigrette, tossed arugula, creamy aioli on it, <laughs> bacon, cream cheese, fried tempura jalapenos. Ooh. The one that looks That's wild. The Go to Nick's Famous Coney Island. It's in the second row, and look at that big Nick. I don't even know if that's oh, good, that but now. look how giant that oh, is. Geez. That was yeah. incredible. Double decker, double patty burger, two painted hills beef patties, shredded jalapeno slaw, and whatever the hell bang bang sauce is, <laughs> all in a locally made triple <laughs> stack bun. The inspiration, we're looking to go spicy and to stack it high. See something like, there's no way you can knock down two of those. No, no, no. You can that's a that's a one burger for sure. I mean that's like that's two burgers at least. Yeah. That's a two-sitting right there. This chorizo chili cheeseburger is... Uh, <laughs> Peter, you are the king of making me hungry when I'm at this job. I know, man. Every, you know, on the pulse, and you're always talking about food, and then I end up looking at food, and I always end up uh, <laughs> just wanting to... Uh, Wanting to indulge. This uh, this looks incredible. I'm going down the list right now. I'm, I'm telling you guys, man. There are there are uh, two. There are three great weeks in a year. Four great weeks in a year. The start of MLB season. Even if uh, you're indifferent to baseball, it ju- it just signifies spring. You know. The start of college football, more so than the NFL, means we're finally going to maybe break the heat, have a good time on Saturdays. There's that. There is Shark Week. And there is Burger Week. Those are the four best weeks of the year, and two of them come within a three-week span here, college football. But right before that, starting today, running through the 21st, you've got Burger Week in Portland. Eugene, I'm, I'm, I apologize. I don't mean to leave you out, but uh, good burger is what's up. Actually, here, I'll throw, I will throw this out. What's the best burger in your city? If you're in Eugene... What is the best burger? Roseburg, Klamath Falls. You know, I do have an interesting story. Klamath Falls. I don't remember the name of it. There was a burger down there in K Falls. It's like 15 to 20 years ago. I literally used to fly down to get it. Friend of mine was a flight instructor at the Hillsborough Airport. He ended up, you know, flying more regionally. But as he's building up his hours, you have to get so many hours, you know, with your visual flight rating and your instrument flight rating. He gave lessons. And with those lessons, you uh, you know, fly wherever you fly, and a lot of times it would be, oh, we're gonna do, uh, we're gonna fly down to Klamath Falls. Okay, cool. And eventually, I find out there's this burger joint down there. I don't remember what it was called, but it was worth getting in a little, you know, singleless engine Cessna, putting on the little headset, and you know, my my buddy is, you know, yeah, pilot one niner, you know, doing all that thing. Got some stranger in in the plane with us who's learning how to fly. He's on the other side of the controls. We'd pop down there. We'd always have to get this burger. I wish I remember what it was called. But it was like if I had to actually pay to rent a plane to fly down there and get it, 
That's what I would do. And I know people that have their uh, their pilot's license, you know, VFR or IFR. That's a thing. You call it the hundred dollar burger because you can just you get up in the air. It's fun. You got to pay it, you know, for the fuel and to rent the plane, and it's worth it. And you just land at some airstrip wherever, and you just grab the burger. So it's a great way to get to some restaurants that maybe you haven't necessarily gotten to all that often. I wish I remembered that, but let me know what's the best burger in your city. 503-417-7575. You can just tweet it at me as well, at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. I will have a report next week because I'm going to hit Burger Week, and I'm going to tell you what was good. Fellas, I definitely encourage you to do the same. Yeah, I'm checking out this Smoky Paw as well. That's uh, it's my number two choice right here. You know, throughout, the, uh... throughout the segment, I've been, I lived in Eugene four and a half years. I'm trying to think of the best burger. You know what place I would definitely endorse in Eugene? Mm. Agate Alley Bistro. Really? Never yeah. been. Oh, awesome what was great place. about it? Oh, just uh, amazing food. It's uh, it's a nice chill. It's a uh, nice chill vibe and uh, just awesome food. And my favorite food there is the sweet potato fries. Oh. Super cheap. You know, it was right by my college house, and of course, me and my buddies would go there. And not a huge budget. You know, right? super cheap. Yeah, things, super cheap food. But uh, they make really good burgers. That's the place I would recommend. I love it, man. My mouth is watering. That's what I'm going to do once I get off this show. Go find me a burger. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. Still more college football to talk about. Uh, Where is the championship game going to be played this year? Well, we already knew that, but we learned a couple years down the road where it's going to be located. And none of these cities are any surprise whatsoever. Leave it here. to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Networks. Appreciate you rolling with me on your Monday. Man, salivating after that last segment. We're rolling into Burger Week. In on Twitter. Uh, best burger in Eugene, Nick Codian. He's shouting out the Big Jack's burger at Elkhorn. Sean McPherson's nodding his head. <laughs> so so that one's good. Do you know that one? Uh, I know Elkhorn has a really good reputation, and I had that place in mind, but I've actually never been to Elkhorn. Oh, man, it's it, it looks good. He's also shouting out the Lunchbox Laboratory for if you're going big. So, uh, yeah, highly recommended from Nick Cody, who would probably know. By the way, possibly going to have him on the show tomorrow. Might want to chat with him about some Ducks football. I don't know how much he can share or if he can share it all, but I did see that he was down at practice the other day, and that means he probably got a good look at some stuff. So uh, I need to find out exactly what I can ask and what I can't. Uh, regarding how Oregon's looking at this point in the preseason. But we'll uh, we'll get some information from him probably tomorrow. And uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation as well. You know we'll talk some music as well. By the way, speaking of the Ducks, Oregon AD Rob Mullins is getting a five-year extension. He's getting a raise, five-year contract extension. That is still pending board approval. James Crepia had that for Oregon Live today. Uh, Mullins just completed his 12th year at Oregon. He'll be under contract through June of 2030 under the new contract. So that was released by the school today ahead of tomorrow's meeting of the Board of Trustees. His compensation, he was making $717,500 plus deferred compensation, performance, and retention bonuses, yada, yada, yada. He was receiving those through June of 2025 under his existing contract. 
Now he keeps the same bonuses. His salary jumps up to nine hundred and eighty grand. Even that makes him the eleventh highest paid AD nationally. Makes him third highest paid in the Pac-12. That's based on 2021 market data, according to university documents. And those performance bonuses I mentioned that stay the same. His bonus for UO athletics academic performance does change to $50,000. That's if the department has a four-year academic progress rate of at least 985. He could previously earn bonuses of 20 to $50,000 based on varying APR scores starting at 950. His retention bonuses for the next three years of $300,000 for each of the next two years and $1 million in June of 25 stay the exact same. He'll now be eligible for retention bonuses of $300,000 annually from 2026 to 2029 and $500,000 in June of 2030. So the buyout that Oregon would owe him if for some reason it were to fire him before the end of that contract changes slightly. Uh, He would be due all of his remaining base salary plus 80% of his cumulative remaining retention bonuses. That's as long as the termination occurs after July 1st of 2023 so fellas rob mullins a a five-year extension really quickly no big surprise there yeah i mean it seems like you know the ducks have done a great job since he's been there with a lot of sports not even just the main sports but some uh you know the lesser you know popular sports as well so well deserved you know be close to that top 10 uh salary wise for the ad i think it's well deserved for rob mullins and good for oregon as well continue that momentum yeah i think it makes total sense to be around 11 you know i think Whoever Oregon's athletic director, Oregon's a national brand, it's a big brand, uh, to be paid uh, around 11th, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think Rob Mullins, a couple mistakes here and there in terms of coach hirings, but I think for the most part, a fantastic athletic director. Yeah, and if nothing else, man, Rob Mullins, we know that he can afford, man, he should be buying us the burgers, shouldn't he? Man, that, that'll get you through Burger Week a few times. Congrats to him. Makes perfect sense. Uh, James Crepia, again, has a bunch of the nitty-gritty if you're interested in that. Ultimately, I just, you know, the news, the big takeaway for me is just con- continued consistency at that spot for the University of Oregon. Good to see for them as we approach another college football year. With that, hour number one in the books. We're going to keep it going. On the other side, I do have more college football to talk. little MLB news. There's a surprising team that looks virtually unbeatable now. And is it too early to talk NBA? We're starting to see word on the Christmas Day slate of games. Some of them make sense. Some of them don't. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald-faced truth. B F from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth. Hour number two of the Bald Face Truth. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. Appreciate you rolling with me on the BFT Radio Network. I'll be with you all week. JC will be back next week. Just taking a few more days before. His grind starts, you know, in this, we all have our specialties and look, JC pack 12, man, it's about to get busy for him. It's a good time to take a little bit of time off. We we have these little lulls in the summer and I know a lot of people say there's nothing to talk about. That's not even remotely true. I actually kind of love it when there's no sports to talk about because then I can just talk about whatever. But that being said, 
now is uh, one of those lulls. It's good to maybe uh, relax, chill out with the family, recoup a little bit, and then hit it hard through the fall. And that's what he's going to do. And I'm happy to keep the seat warm for him in the meantime. Of course, you can grab a podcast cast of this show wherever you get a podcast. Just search for The Bald Face Truth. Hit that subscribe button. Major League Baseball is in full swing right now. And we're, we've got some interesting uh, uh, pennant chases right now. I mean, do you still call them pennant chases when you have three wild cards per league? Maybe not, but that's still what I'm going to call them. I mean, because, you know, back in the day... Before we were born, you know, it was just the the best American League team, the best National League team at the end of the regular season. You played 154 then. You just met in the World Series. That was it. And so that's not enough. And I agree it's not enough. So you add the, uh, you know, now you have the, the ALCS and the NLCS, and that was great for a while, and then that's not enough. And so now you have the NLDS and the ALDS. And that's not enough. And now you have the wild card matchup. And it's it's a fine line because when you're playing that long of a season, it makes sense. Like, you, you got to have a little bit more incentive so a team's not just in, in mid-June going, well, we're already 20 games under 500. Screw it. We're not even going to try. You do want to incentivize these teams, but you don't want to go so far as, like, in the NBA, and I say this as an NBA guy, too, too many teams make the playoffs, man. I like the play-in. I, in fact, I love the plan, but I would love the plan if maybe uh, if maybe we had two fewer playoff teams per uh, per conference and still kept that plan at the bottom, if that makes sense. But that being said, there are some great playoff races in Major League Baseball. And dare I say, are the Mets actual contenders? I know it feels blasphemous to say because the Mets, at least in my lifetime, yeah, I know they've made the playoffs here and there. Hell, they even uh, you know made a World Series, played the Yankees uh, 15 years ago, whatever that was. Played but, the Royals too. No, oh, that's right, that's right, they did. But the Mets, also authors of some of the greatest uh, late season collapses I've ever seen, just continuously. And I've kind of kept an eye on them. Of course, I'm a Braves fan. They're ahead of the Atlanta Braves for most, if not all, of the year. And I go, wow, there's no way they're going to hold on to this. Atlanta's, you know, they caught fire after a little bit of a slow start, which is to be expected. Anytime a team wins the World Series, there's always that little bit of a hangover the next year. You know what I mean? Because you play for so long. And I saw the postseason schedule came out for Major League Baseball. It's wild. If there's a Game 7 of the World Series this year, it's going to be the latest played baseball game in Major League history. It's going to be November 5th. The October Classic, November 5th. It's crazy. It's wild. And especially if a team from, say, New York makes it. That is not weather that's conducive to uh, having a comfortable grip on a wooden bat or, you know, having throwing a hard slider, really having control. But that being said, the Mets just won't let go. I've watched my share of Mets baseball this year, and man, Jacob DeGrom, he was so good last year. He looked like he was going to run away with the Cy Young Award and the MVP before he got shut down in July, and he missed a year. And, you know, of course, they had DeGrom and Syndergaard, and they were supposed to be the two stars, you know, for the next 15 years in the Mets rotation. Syndergaard has <laughs> been on two teams now since uh, the Mets. He's still not even remotely old. And DeGrom, you know, broke down. You wonder if he's going to be the same after his shoulder problems. Well, he's come back, and he has been unbelievably dominant. He He took a perfect game against the Braves into the sixth inning. And last night... 
they faced the Phillies. He struck out 10. It's a one nothing shutout. Gave up. He scattered two hits. Didn't walk anyone. Edwin Diaz came in with the save, and he's been lights out. And again, I'll, having watched my share of Mariners baseball as well, Diaz, eh, I don't really trust him, but he's been dominant this year. This is wild, though. In three starts after being out a year, Jacob deGrom has faced 56 batters, and he struck out 28. The last time that happened in baseball history was never. It's never happened, believe it or not. And I have to think, with him back in the fold, the Mets might be legit contenders. Of course, you have the Dodgers out west. And the Dodgers are stacked. And somehow, they keep getting stronger as this season goes on. And it looks like when the Padres added, you know, Bell, and they added uh, uh, Hayter, and of course, they add Juan Soto, you go, man, this really might be a team. With that pitching staff in this series, I really don't think anyone's going to want to face them. But with the uh, Tatis Jr. news, he's out for the rest of the year, the postseason, and he's going to miss about 40 games next year. You wonder if they're going to be able to hold on because, look, baseball, it's it's mental as much, if not more, than it is physical. And you remember they lost that Max Scherzer, Trey Turner. They had Scherzer. They had him at the trade deadline. And the Dodgers came in and ripped him from the Padres' grasp. Oh, and they added uh, Trey Turner as well. And what did the Padres do? They absolutely collapsed down the stretch. They were like 15 games under 500 over the last like 45 games, something like that. It was terrible. It's a mental thing, and I wonder how they're going to do knowing that Tatis is not coming back. And first, I mean, especially because I tend to buy his excuse. I can understand if you don't, but being suspended for PEDs, and that comes after, let's be honest, it seems like he was being reckless on his motorcycle because he crashed not once, but twice. And then you go back to last year, Machado had to scream Tatis down in the dugout, screaming, it's not about you, it's about the team. I wonder if they're going to be able to withstand it. They still have more than enough talent to make noise in the playoffs and even win any series. I just don't know that they're going to face this additional challenge and be able to withstand it. So I look at the Mets. Obviously, the Dodgers, the favorites, the Braves are going to be there as well. I don't know. You know, they'll make the playoffs. I don't know how well they're going to do. Are the Mets legit contenders? I mean, at this point, I have to consider them a legit contender, but I don't want to. It's just like you said, like they are known for choking away leads and doing all that kind of stuff, but it seems different now. They got a new owner in there, new ownership. They're willing to spend some money. Uh, you know, They made some big moves in the offseason that have paid off. They have the pitching staff more importantly, and I think that's the big part is having that pitching staff. When they were successful back when they made beat the or played the Royals in the World Series, they had Matt Harvey and they had um, you know the other couple of pitchers. I can't forget, forget their names, but uh, you know, with Max Scherzer and DeGrom in there, that's a Dangerous one to Kyle yeah. in the playoffs. And we saw what happened when the Nationals won the World Series with Strasburg and Scherzer when it worked out that way. You have to consider the Mets, you know, one of the contenders as well as the Dodgers because the Padres, I, I was with you. And I remember I came in here when they made that soda trade. I was excited because I made a bet on the Padres right before the soda trade. They were going to win the World Series 22 to 1. And then they went up to like 9 or 10 to 1 after they got soda. I'm like, this is what a bet I made. Then Tatis is out. So now I have no I have no faith in that at all. So I think it's the Dodgers and the Mets right now, and those are the two teams you're looking at in the National League. Let me ask you, Peter. I know the NL, it, it looks like the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers are a mainstay They're every so single good. year, and it feels like they are a certain level of dominant. And you're a Braves fan. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on you feel like it's just the Dodgers and everyone else in the NL right now? I mean, I do, 
And I mean, they got, but that being said, if you're looking at regular season performance, it's felt that way for years and just so many times, not every time, but so many times they still didn't get it done in the playoffs, including last year. The Dodgers were supposed to destroy the Braves. They're supposed to destroy them and they couldn't get it done. So it's all, I mean, Dave Roberts, and he doesn't have as much pressure on him as he did because they got one, but I mean, the pressure was building and look, if you're going to have, you know, a billion dollar payroll, and I know it's not, you know, but a 200 and whatever million dollar payroll and you're playing in L.A. and you have all the big name investors, you have to perform. And that doesn't mean performing in July and August. It means performing in October. They haven't always done that. So they, they are the favorites. They are the best team. I mean, they just are. If you're looking up and down that lineup, if you look at the staff, but you did I hear in your updates that Walker Bueller? Is out for the season. Out yeah. for the season. They still have some great pitchers, but say if, if Rias or another guy goes down, because look, when it comes down to it in a playoff series, pitching wins championships. The home runs are sexy and, you know, having the great leadoff men and guys that, you know, get on base 40% of the time, it's great. It's pitching that actually gets it done in October. And so, again, even though the Padres, I agree with you, Stephen, that their odds got a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to be able to handle it. If they can shake all this distraction off, though, their pitching staff is spectacular. The Mets, Scherzer and DeGrom, back-to-back in a seven-game series. Those guys, those two guys are going to go four times. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, good luck. Yeah. And that's what gets it done. That's what happened when the Nationals beat the Astros. It was those two yeah. guys, and they really carried that team. And so you could see the Mets doing that because they have enough offense this year uh, as well. And new, like I said, the new owner, Steve Cohen, he has said they want to be Dodgers East. They want to spend money, and they want to get big-name guys in. So I think it would be interesting to see what happens going forward? What kind of money they're spending? Are they going to stay with the Dodgers year in and year out and build up that farm system just like the Dodgers have? And can they be a dynasty almost out east yeah. like the Dodgers are in the west? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, I mean, obviously they have Pete Alonzo, they have Francisco Lindor, but it's even some of the the non-big-time stars. And I know, you know, Jeff McNeil, I know he's a name, but, like, that guy is playing out of his mind right now. I mean, maybe he's come back to earth. I haven't checked in a week, but, I mean, I feel like every time I've watched the Mets this year, casually or sitting down to watch a game, I, every time, that dude is standing on second base. It's unbelievable. So I hate to say it because, again, they're in the same division as uh, as my Braves. But, uh, you know, if they have to face each other, and there's a very good chance they're facing each other in the postseason, I just think that DeGrom, Scherzer, because what it comes down to, it's not just pitching. It's being able to pitch in cold weather. The Atlanta Braves have a 20-year history, 15-year history, making the postseason every single year. And they had a dominant pitching staff with three Hall of Famers in that rotation at any time. They had Maddox, they have Glavin, they had Schmoltz. But what it came down to, those guys, two of the three couldn't pitch in cold weather. Mm-hmm. And so Glavin and Maddox became average to above average. Schmoltz was lights out in the playoffs, but those guys that relied on movement, they couldn't get a good grip. And all of a sudden, the Braves, they'd make the playoffs every year. They'd win 94 games. Boom. Out in, in the, the division series or the championship series every single year. So if DeGrom can stay healthy, we know Scherzer can get it done in the postseason. So I think you really got to look at them as a, I mean, it might if they can withstand the Dodgers, we might have another Mets Yankee series this year. Yeah, and we talk about this a lot, you know, covering the Blazers is the NBA has two different seasons. There's oh, yeah. the regular season and the playoffs. And it's a different animal in both where some guys play better in the regular season than the playoffs. Some guys play better in the playoffs than the regular season. I always thought a guy like CJ McCollum was a better playoff player than a regular season player because he could go one on one and get his own shot when he wanted to. 
right? We're in the regular season, 82 games, yeah. you take nights off, whatever. In baseball, same thing. Some pitchers are really good in the regular season, but aren't as good in the postseason. And you know, we talked about Walker Beeler right there. He is the known to be able to be be able to pitch in the postseason. So that's going to hurt the Dodgers. You know, they're going to have to rely on guys like Tony Gonsolin, who are unproven in the playoffs. Yeah, and he's and he's been light he's been out this year. Season, but it's been the regular, regular season seasons. and it's summer. It's 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 eighty one degrees down there. How yeah. what are you gonna do if you go to New York and it's drizzling and it's forty four degrees? Can you still get it done? Right. And that's the thing. And we know that Scherzer and DeGrom have okay. the type of stuff that can you know, translate to the postseason. Yeah, man, DeGrom, uh, again, I, I hope he stays healthy. And again, I say that I'm I'm a Mets hater. I mean, they're a Braves rival, but watch a Jacob DeGrom start. You're seeing something special, and you don't know how long it's going to last. You should always watch greatness when you can. I mean, you know, one of the things I regret is, uh, you know, being a kid in the, the 90s, teenager in the 90s, I got so tired of the Bulls winning it every year. The Bulls were on WGN, and I skipped, oh, I don't know, probably 200 prime Michael Jordan games. I was home. They were on. I was just like, no, I'm tired of that damn team. I'm not going to watch them. And now it's like, why would I pass up greatness even if I'm rooting for them to lose? Why would I dodge this? Same thing. Even if you don't have an interest in baseball, there's something about watching the best of the best do what they do. It's like watching a brain surgeon work. Jacob deGrom is on that level. He's doing it right now, and we don't know how long his body's going to hold out. Enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, playoff baseball is is fun to watch. Every pitch so intense. Every pitch is intense. It's and you're on your toes for that. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a it's the thing where you want the Angels to be good as well because you can see Shohei Otani and Mike <sighs> Trout in the playoffs. Like we don't see that ever. But now you know with the Mets, how Jacob Degrom stay healthy. We're going to see him on the biggest stage. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, in uh, three weeks. It won't be playoff baseball, but I'm hoping for a semi playoff intensity. I'm going up to Seattle. The Braves are coming uh, for a series against the Mariners. Been a Braves fan since like 1988. I've never seen them in person, thanks to interleague play, even though technically I am against it. Uh, get to go up there and uh, hopefully catch uh, Max Fried, Spencer Strider, and uh, and uh, maybe Charlie Morton. We'll see. But, again, two teams where they're not leading their division, but they're in the mix. They're both holding wild card spots right now. They're going to need to play well. I'm looking for some fairly intense baseball there. Are you uh, Are you the type of guy that's going to wear an opposing jersey or an opposing shirt? In, Already uh, got it. Yep. You got, you're going to wear it in the opposing territory. I am going to wear it. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> you're, not afraid of the, you're not afraid of the heat coming at you. <laughs> Seattle fans, give me a break. Canzano, uh, actually, it was, it, it wasn't, it's not a full-on gag gift, but he got me a, like a light-hearted gift. Last Christmas, uh, we went out to a restaurant, had some Italian, everyone that kind of works on the show and at the station, we all got together. And, you know, and spouses and significant others, we get together and um, he got me a Braves championship, uh, you know, World Series hoodie. I haven't cracked it out yet. I will be taking that up to it. It's, it's going to be a great time. Uh, Kim's never never taken the train. You know, the, it dumps you like right at the right stadium there. there. So, yeah, she used to travel for work, so she has a million hotel points. So we're staying for free. I just grab some train tickets, have a couple drinks on the way, go up and uh, watch some afternoon baseball. Dude, that's uh, nothing nothing better than, uh, you know, afternoon baseball, especially in nice weather like that. Man, it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. One evening game. I guess the first one is in the evening, and then uh, we'll go back the next day, Sunday. It's like, it's like a one thirty start time, something like that. Uh, I'm not going to catch every game of the series, but I'm definitely, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Because again, man, watch that team since the late '80s. I learned baseball watching that team. I've been through the highs, I've been through the lows. 
obviously I don't really get to the the southeast <laughs> that often. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Looking forward to cheering for him. And you know what? I do hope I get some grief from Mariner fans. I hope that game actually matters. Again, not division rivals, not even league rivals. But I'm hoping that both those teams are like two games out of losing their wild card spot, and they really need to to bring their A game. All right, we'll go away, come back. More sports talk on the other side. I'm Peter Sampson, and for John Canzano, it's the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. I am Peter Sampson for John Canzano. It's the bald face truth. Some news out of the NBA. The 76ers and Ben Simmons reached a settlement over his grievance over withheld pay. If you remember when he was sitting out, said, I'm not coming back. I'm not going to play for you again. So he sat out and they withheld a bunch of money from him because he did not play a single game in the 2021-22 season. Uh, he then countered that he was dealing with uh, mental health issues, which was protected under the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, the 76ers went through the steps to support that process. and uh, But ultimately, there was still $20 million nearly withheld from him. Uh, they have now reached a settlement there. Of course, there was a uh, confidentiality agreement on the exact settlement that was reached, so we don't know how much money but that grievance was filed in April after discussions between Clutch Sports and the 76ers didn't initially result in a settlement. So it goes to arbitration, but they uh, agreed on that settlement before the arbitrator actually ruled. Philadelphia had said that he was in breach of his contract because, well, he didn't play. The contract is for you to play. It's pretty much that Simple, but uh, instead, as I mentioned, he uh, he did show up for training camp, and then he said ultimately he was dealing with mental health uh, as the reason that his participation was so limited, and that's where we get to the crux of the matter because they're disagreeing over the the uh, the degree of access that the team and the doctors were allotted to Simmons to diagnose his uh, mental health concerns. So he did receive his full salary for the time he spent with the Brooklyn Nets. He was traded there in February, even though he never played a game for Brooklyn. Of course, he had surgery to repair a, uh, I think it was a herniated disc, some sort of disc injury. And uh, he says, I saw Stephen A. saying that he bumped into uh, Ben Simmons. And uh, Simmons says he's uh, he's ready to go. And I'm really curious to see what Ben Simmons brings to Brooklyn. Because, look, we all know what the noise is out of Brooklyn right now. We know what the big news is out of Brooklyn right now. But I want to see. I mean, look, back injuries aren't anything to mess with. It could be something. Could be nothing. Could be Dwight Howard level where, yeah, you can play, but you're never going to be the same again. So I'm really curious to see how he looks coming back, not in Philly, and uh, coming off of a back injury, to me, that's uh, it's while it's not as intriguing as oh, is Kevin Durant gonna be there or not? It's still really intriguing, guys. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I really like the Nets roster. Assuming Katie, it sounds like Katie doesn't want to be a net no matter what. Uh, I even saw a report today, and I think Katie came out and said it was fake news, but 
Mark Stein reported today that KD was going to retire uh, before he plays for the Nets. KD came out on Twitter and said that that's not Fine. true. But it sounds like he doesn't want to be a net regardless. If he does end up uh, being a net for whatever reason, they have a really good roster. Or if they can just get a King's Ransom for Kevin Durant, you know, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving. Uh, and then they got a, a lot of role guys that I like, you know, Seth Curry and Nick Claxton. And I know they lost Bruce Brown, but they added TJ Warren. Um, I believe they, oh, they added Royce O'Neal as well. So yeah. they have, they, you know, they have a solid squad there in Brooklyn. And like you, I, I, I mean, Ben Simmons is a, uh, a trade piece that I'd be interested in. Like as just as a Portland fan, I still think he's a world-class defender and he's a guy that's 6'10 and can dribble the basketball and he can't shoot the basketball at all, but you know, he can distribute it and he can run the fast break. But man, just seeing this uh, Sixers story, I, it's, it's pretty crazy that, he just—I don't know. Like, I don't want to—I don't want to sound arrogant with the mental health stuff, but at, right. at the end of the day, like, he had a bad experience at the end of the postseason in 2020, and then, you know, he—he he basically like it was well known around the league and you know to the public that he just wasn't happy with the Sixers and just decided to sit out. And then, again, I don't—I don't want to sound like maybe maybe it was mental health, but at the end of the day, like he—he he basically just kind of claimed mental health, never had to play a game with the Sixers again, and now he's getting money. So. Yeah, and the the thing is, is look, so he sits out the year, and this is kind of interesting, too. I want to take a kind of a wider view on this. Uh, you know, he sits out for the year. He ends up settling and getting some of the money. Kevin Durant just signed a massive ex- max contract extension. He has four years left. They did everything he wanted. Now he's deciding he doesn't like it. Taking a grand view of all this, I think the NBA is headed for a lockout. This this player stuff, and I'm player empowerment guy. I really am. This is nuts, especially the Durant stuff. I'm telling you, when the next CB, CBA negotiations are up, the owners are putting a stop to this. Yeah, because the whole thing was if you stay with your team and you sign those max contracts, you're going to be able to get more money, and that's going to entice you to stay, just like Damian Lillard here in Portland. That's how you get a small market team to stay together. But now that these guys have figured out, you know what, I could get the most money possible by signing this contract and then asking to get traded out the next season before that contract even starts to kick in, that's going to be a problem for owners. Owners aren't going to want to do that, and the fans are going to get mad about it. So I'm with you. It, it seems like this is going to get worse before it gets any better. And Durant is not the first guy to do it, but he's been maybe the most publicized person to do that because he keeps doing it. And it's just been in the news all summer long. And there doesn't seem to be any type of solution that's going to come about anytime soon. Yeah, I just think of it in the scheme of like a non-basketball job, like the jobs that we all work. Like if you were, if you have a contract that you're that you signed, you can't just like at some point to say, no, like I'm I'm not doing this anymore. Like you're on a contract, and then not only did Kevin Durant do that, like he requested a trade, demanded a trade, but then he said like I am not. I am not playing for this team and living up to this contract unless you fire him and him. Like, imagine doing that for, like, a job, right. you know, just like a non-basketball job. And, like, the same thing kind of goes with Ben Simmons, you know. Like, it, you can't just – like, there's other jobs out there where you can't just decide, I'm I'm not doing this, you yeah. know, like Kyrie Irving. And it feels like all these players are with the Nets. Like, all of – I think there's a lot of good in the NBA. I think there's a lot of people out there that are going to say, oh, the NBA, like these players are so entitled. I think that goes for a small sample Some of Some of them are. A lot of them are. A lot yeah. of them are, right? But then, you, for like I've said this on your show before, Peter, like for every Kevin Durant, you've got a Giannis or a Steph Curry or Nikola Jokic or Damian Lillard that are just fine exactly where they are. And they let other people do their jobs. 
But then that's not the case with your James Hardens, with your Kevin Durant, with your Ben Simmons, with your Kyrie Irvings. It feels like those are the ones that are pushing their way out of places and are never seem to be happy and you're not living up to their contracts and are making noise. And it feels like all of those have either all of those players have either been on the nets currently on the nets or have cycled through the nets in the case of uh, James Harden and, you know, Ben Simmons currently on the team. So yeah, I, uh, the NBA it's, it's in a good place. There's so much talent in the league, but man, there's something, something's got to come to a stop when it comes to uh, yeah. just these players. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, it's, it's gonna, I, the players are, you know, they're rich. They're used to getting what they want. You know what? So are dudes that are worth $25 billion and they're going to get what they want, especially because they've capitulated on a lot of things, basketball revenue, uh, revenue sharing, things like that. This fundamentally, it breaks the idea of the game. And look, players, you know, free agency, being able to choose where you work, you should be able to do that. But again, this isn't saying, look, I'm not going to resign at the end. I have four months left. We're at the trade deadline. If you want, I'm not coming back. You can get something for me. And you're kind of asking out, signing a max deal, dominating a franchise, and then immediately turning around and forcing your way out. This is major and I'm telling you, man, it's this isn't going to be a small lock, lockout either. It's coming. It, this is absolutely coming, and it's going to be bad. Yeah, for all the times I criticize a guy like LeBron James for not, just not really liking him, like, he's changed teams, but he didn't do it in a way where he demanded out. Like, he waited until he was a free agent, and then he signed with those teams. Like, he did it a different way, and he, you know, he ruined the teams that he was with before because he, you know, brought in all of his boys, and the salary cap got messed up. But he just left the team. He didn't ask to get traded and all that things. So you got to respect stuff like that because these guys are asking out after their contracts haven't even started yet. Right. It's and that, nonsense. And, that, and that's the part where that really bothers me. It's like, I understand you want to get as much money as you can, but you have to show some type of respect to the team that you know, has brought you in or that drafted you or traded for you rather than just to say, you know, I'm going to take your money and I'm going to leave. Yeah, yeah, it, without a doubt. So whether they put clauses in, then it's like, okay, you know, all right, we can get traded. We can, uh, this contract is null and I don't know what they'll do, but something's happening. Sean, did you have something? Yeah, I, I think tr- different trade requests are different. Like, I think, you know, you have to add context into players requesting trades because in the sense of Kevin Durant, like, come on, you chose your head coach, you chose to fire this person, to trade this person, like, we know that you were the one making decisions, and that you and Kyrie Irving came in and said, hey, Atkinson's gone, Jared Allen's gone, bring in DeAndre Jordan, we want Steve Nash, and now they got swept in the playoffs and he's asking out. That's different than, like, I don't know, Anthony Davis on the Pelicans, the team made some horrible decisions, bad draft picks, and Anthony Davis is like, I, you know, I want to go win somewhere or like, you know, hypothetically Damian Lillard. He's obviously like the, if the team makes bad decisions, he decides he can't win in Portland. And, you know, those decisions had nothing to do with him. Then I, you can understand that trade request. Right. But like in the sense of Kevin Durant, it's like, dude, this was your thing. You went to Brooklyn, you got your guys in and you pretty much told your front office exactly what to do. And they abided by it. And now you're saying you have to fire the head coach and the, uh, the general manager in order for you to play like, that needs to be treated differently than some of the other trade requests. And, and it's the holding out that's the thing. It, it, because it's one thing to go behind the scenes or, frankly, even be a knob and do it publicly. But ultimately, you go out there and you fulfill your contract. So you're not in breach of your contract. But willing to just be, you know what? No. I'm not going to do that. You have to abide by the contract, but I don't have to abide by the contract. No, 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 no. These are two parties. It's two parties. 
it, it takes the balls to do that, you know. Like, it takes you know, something. Yeah, like I, like I'm gonna call your bluff, and you're not gonna do anything about it. Like I'm gonna sign this contract, and I'm not even gonna play for you. What are you gonna do about it? And the NBA guys have gotten away with it for a little bit, and I think you know, like you said, the owners are not gonna be happy about it when this collective bargaining bargaining agreement uh, comes up. Yeah, I, I wonder, and this is more of just a thought experiment, but I wonder if this hypothetically happens in some situation, and then they they sue the player for loss of potential revenue you didn't uphold your uh your end of the bargain jersey sales are down ticket sales are down and i'm suing you to recoup this also it, it makes me like i like kevin Durant. i didn't care that he went to the warriors i understood it on the for a basketball reason like i had no problem with it but like i am so tired of hearing about kevin durant now like oh he may go to this he may go you know what i just tell me when something happens now right and i think it puts a negative light just on nba basketball in general that the offseason is actually more important than what happens on the court a lot of clickbait yeah, and it's just like that bothers me. It's like at some point you have to play the games, and nobody really cares about the games. They just care about the offseason drama. Like that's not where NBA championships are won. It's won on the court. And so for as a basketball fan, like that stuff bothers me that it's all about, well, what's happening off the court? That's the big news in the NBA. See, and that's interesting because the NBA does the offseason so well. But there's a line, right? And it's right. kind of gone too They're far. They're taking it too far. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I'm someone that normally, I love the summer drama. I do. But this is like, I'm putting my foot down, man. I can't deal with this. The Durant and drama is too much. Like, it's I just can't take it. It's the absurdity of it. Like, yeah. I'm fine with a, you know, a, a if you want to request a trade, request a trade. But you still have to play the games that you're contractually obligated to play. Right. And it's we're, we're just a long way from the joy of, like, Joel Embiid, you know, re- getting mad at Brian Colangelo and his normal-sized callers, find a new slant, and Mark Cuban frantically driving around trying to find DeAndre Jordan's phone number, and all these ridiculous stories that sort of make the NBA larger than a sports league. This, there's nothing fun about this for anybody. Uh, I will talk something fun about the NBA on the other side. The Christmas Day slate of games has been uh, leaked out. Very interesting. Some games I'm excited to see, some I'm not. We'll kick that around next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson for Gonzano. It's the BFT. I'll be keeping the seat warm this week. He'll be back next week as we inch closer to the start of college football season. The NBA did need to get into the news cycle yesterday. The full schedule not out yet. I anticipate it should come out this week. It might be next week. It always varies a little bit, but it's right around this time. And I heard that some things are delayed. Because schedule makers are actually kind of looking at that Kevin Durant situation because you don't want to necessarily schedule premier games uh, if they're not going to be premier because a superstar is not playing in them. That being said, the Christmas Day slate of games is uh, is out. It has been leaked. John Morant in the Grizzlies face Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and the rest of the NBA champion Golden State Warriors that is in the Bay. Um uh, the rest of the Christmas schedule has uh, Philadelphia facing the Knicks. Uh, Giannis and the Bucks meet the Celtics. The Lakers, of course, play Luka Doncic and the Mavericks. 
and the Phoenix Suns go up against the Denver Nuggets. Now, what's interesting here, and again, I'm pretty sure this is due to the uncertainty surrounding the Durant situation, no Brooklyn Nets, no Kevin Durant on Christmas Day. I think the NBA doesn't want to get burned, and they don't want to put a Nets team up that has no Durant and has no Ben Simmons, possibly. And as much as I love that T.J. Warren pickup, I have a feeling that uh, maybe a lot of uh, NBA fans don't. <laughs> and They're not even aware of it, and they're not hyped to see that. That being said, if the NBA is concerned about teams in New York being bad on Christmas Day, well, why the hell did the Knicks playing? Philadelphia 76ers facing New York. If they wanted to put them up against Brooklyn there, they easily could have. So yet again, we have the Knicks who have been on Christmas Day. Something, it's like 10 out of the last 14 years or something like that. And they're bad. And they will continue to be bad. Well, they'll be mediocre. I guess we should say that. They won't be great. Uh, Looking at this schedule... Grizzlies, Warriors is going to be great, of course. It's a shame that we can't loan them Gary Payton Jr. just for one day so they can have a rematch. He can go up against Dylan Brooks and uh, maybe tell him not to injure his elbow. Uh, Milwaukee, Boston is going to be good. Lakers, Dallas is what it is. I'm curious to see how Dallas looks with Christian Wood uh, and without Jalen Brunson. The Lakers, they're a spectacle. What are you going to do? It's fine. I think the Phoenix Nuggets game is actually going to be really intriguing. You know, Phoenix, there was all the 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 uh, question marks around DeAndre Ayton. He's back. Will Chris Paul ever age? And then on the other side, of course, you have back-to-back MVP Nikola Jokic. And mo- nearly as importantly, I almost said more importantly, nothing is more important to that team than Nikola Jokic. But nearly as importantly, they're going to have Jamal Murray and hopefully Michael Porter Jr. back. The Denver Nuggets are going to be a fantastic team. I am a little surprised as well that you don't have the Clippers playing, considering they're going to have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard back, not to mention, of course, John Wall, Norman Powell, their other talent. I think that they're one of the sneaky favorites in the West if they can stay healthy. Looking at the schedule, fellas, for Christmas Day, what stands out to you guys? Yeah, I mean, anytime Luka Doncic plays, I'm interested because Luka's my favorite player in the NBA. So for that, I know it's against the Lakers. It may not be the best game of the night, but I will definitely be tuned into that because I just love to watch Luka on the biggest stage. And, you know, he looks skinnier. They've shown some pictures of him this year. He looks skinnier in the offseason. So I'm excited to see skinnier-ish Luka Doncic to see if he could be that MVP level. But for me, it's it's the Grizzlies and the Warriors. Uh, I, I, I was a little... I still don't know how Boston didn't beat Golden State in the finals. I'm still shocked by it. Like, I had money on Boston. I thought they were the better team the whole time. And Golden State just ended up beating them every single time. And I'm still shocked by it. So I want to see how Jason Tatum, man. Yeah, he choked. He just didn't play well in that finals. And so I've seen a lot of people, especially like, you know, talking about Blazers stuff, how people are down on Memphis. And I don't see why they are. They're young and they're getting better. I love John Moran. He might be my second favorite player. I I think it's because Jaron Jackson's going to be out a few months, but they're so well built. Yeah. I think they can stand three months without him. They were the two seed last season, so I, w- I want to see that game. I want to see the Grizzlies take on the Warriors, see if the Grizzlies can take that next step, right? Because it's easy to take the step from non-playoff team to the back of the playoffs. Then it's harder to get from the you know back of the playoffs to the top of the West. Can they get to the top of the West to the top of the NBA? And I think that's what Memphis is looking like they could be, is Jaw that guy. This is going to be a big stage for them on Christmas Day. Yeah, Sean, what's standing out to you on Christmas Day? 
Yeah, I see six Western Conference teams, which I think is the right move, and then just the four Eastern Conference teams. And to me, going into next season, assuming Kevin Durant's not going to be in net, there's four Eastern Conference teams that truly matter. And the Knicks certainly aren't one of them. The Bucks, Celtics, and Sixers are certainly those four. And the Heat, the Heat didn't get a game, and they're defending. Uh, you know, they made the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Um, I think you know other key omissions. The Clippers didn't get a game. Right. Uh, the Timberwolves, who I think I expect them to be pretty good. Um, they do not get a game. I think the Hawks are going to be good. Any other key? I mean, like the Blazers obviously didn't no. didn't get a game. I think the Minnesota. I think it's like you said. They may be a little worried that it, the. The connection doesn't work with Carlton Towns and Gobert. Like that could be really good, or it could be a real problem. Yeah, that's such a high risk, high reward move. I mean, and because of that, that's why that was such a crazy overpay. It could be great, but I just ugh, I don't know. But it's but it's intriguing, and that's what gets eyeballs on Christmas Day. So I so I tend to agree. That's that's kind of interesting because Minnesota is so young and exciting. And even if you're not a T Wolves fan, like man, you got it's must watch. Yeah, yeah. So I think. You know them and the Clippers feel like the and the Heat feel like the biggest uh, the biggest losers here. Like they they should have probably gotten a game, but they're always going to throw the Knicks. They're going to throw the Knicks on that 9 a.m. time slot unless it's the Celtics. I, I mean, it's just Madison Square Garden. It's kind of a Christmas tradition to wake up and the Knicks are the first game, and the Knicks just they're never good. Like the last time I remember like enjoying a Christmas Day Knicks game was like some mellow magic, but like even that was at least five years ago and. Yeah, they're hosting the Sixers, so that's easily the uh, the weakest game to me. Yeah, and then I mean the Western. This just reminds me how good the Western Conference is going to be next year. Grizzlies, Warriors, both are great teams. Lakers, Mavericks. I mean the Lakers are eh. Mavericks. I, I mean you got to have Luca on Christmas Day, like you said. And then Suns and Nuggets. I, I like that's both those teams. I, I'm really high on uh, Denver next for next year. So. It's just like there's six Western Conference teams that are all super good, and then I just mentioned the Clippers and Timberwolves got robbed as well. So it's just the West is insane. Yeah, what's interesting too is the NBA. It's if there there's always pressure for it to be high profile on Christmas. It's the whole point. But this year, Christmas is a Sunday. They're going up, up against the NFL as oh, well. Wow. So there's a lot of uh, pressure to really perform because when Christmas is on a random Tuesday and everyone's home. The NBA owns Christmas Day. They own Christmas and they own MLK Day. Those are the two NBA special days. Well, here they have to share, and we all know NFL's king. I'm really curious. I don't. I'm not ratings guy. I don't give a damn about ratings. Oh, ratings are up. Oh no, ratings are down. I don't care. I either watched it or I didn't. I either care or I don't. But I'm really curious to see what the splits are this Sunday on Christmas. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be another reason why they didn't go with you know, a team like Minnesota since they already went with a smallish market in Memphis. Uh, you know, you want to go with the bigger markets yeah, maybe. Uh, in those days. I mean, I understand, like like you said, Sean, New York usually plays that that early time slot, but it's the biggest market. Like, they have to put New York in there. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't put the Clippers in there, like you said, but I think we are the biggest winners because uh, the Blazers don't play that day, so we don't have to like cover the Blazers or anything. We can just relax, watch football, watch basketball all day. So I would say I'm just gonna, I'm happy about it. I'm happy the Blazers aren't on Christmas. I think if Zion's healthy, they might be regretting not putting the Pelicans as one of the games. Mm. We'll see. But I just looked up the uh, the weekend. It's week 16 of the NFL. It's mostly Saturday. They're doing most of the games that Saturday, December 24th. Like there's like 12 games that day. And then they got three on uh, at the actual Christmas Day. And it's Packers-Dolphins, 10 a.m., Broncos-Rams, and Buccaneers-Cardinals spread out throughout the day. So those are high-profile games. games. They're high-profile games, but, yeah, it's not like they're competing against a full Sunday slate of NFL. It's just it's 
couple couple games. Which too. I th- which I think is the way for the NFL to do it too, where it's like we're going to take most of this day and be in good shape, and then we're just going to rip off a bunch of your viewership because look, man. Uh, Buccaneers Cardinals is big time. I mean, the Rams are the defending champs. Who are they playing? Broncos. Rams Broncos. Russell Wilson, and then uh, and I'm sorry, what was the first game? Packers Pack- Dolphins. Dolphins. Yeah, Packers Dolphins. I mean, Tyreek Hill, and I mean Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers. That's, in Miami. Yeah, that's gonna be. I hate to say must watch because I like watching basketball on Christmas, but man, yeah, I think you're right. We're winners. Sit back and soak it all in. I'm going to have to ask for another TV for Christmas so I can have like three <laughs> TVs going on at once so I can have all these sports going on. Man, I've I've been there, man. Some of those league pass nights where I have it on the TV, on the phone, on the tablet, and on a PC all going on at once, man. It's too much. All right, we'll go away. Come back. More sports talk on the other side. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth. the truth back to the bald face truth with john canzano on 750 the game welcome back to the program i am peter samson this is the bald face truth i'm in for john canzano this week appreciate you rolling with me hope your day is going well Jacksonville Jaguars made some roster moves today. They did waive quarterback Jake Luton. That's uh, sad to hear. Hope he can catch on with someone. I watched the new, uh, I had HBO on the other day. I've uh, I've gotten out of watching Hard Knocks. I did watch the new uh, uh, Lions Hard Knocks uh, over the weekend. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, if you've never seen Hard Knocks, if you don't know what it is, yeah, they, they get into a preseason with an NFL team. You got guys trying to make the cut, guys trying to get well. You got coaches giving inspirational speeches, screaming dudes down, guys getting cut, guys making the roster. It's really fun. It had gotten a little formulaic, I guess, but I've enjoyed it. I, this Lions squad, they, they seem a little a little together, I guess we'll say, which, I, I mean, I guess m- makes sense. But uh, I'm curious to see what they'll actually do on the field this year. I certainly don't have high hopes for the Detroit Lions, but uh remains to be seen what's going to happen there. Also, man, the new uh, Game of Thrones prequels coming out on HBO as well. I just saw that. I, I heard about this so long ago, and immediately it kind of fell off my radar, and I just started seeing uh, ads for it again, previews for it again. Uh, things like that. House of the Dragon, if you're not aware of what this is, it's essentially, it's not really a, a prequel per se, but it's uh, the story of the Targaryen Civil War that took place about 300 years before the events portrayed in Game of Thrones. So if you miss Game of Thrones or if you miss Game of Thrones except for the last two seasons, you know, you feel like it fell off, maybe this will scratch that itch for you. It's kind of making me want to run through Game of Thrones again. I don't know. I rewatch a lot of stuff, though. I mean, I catch a lot of new stuff, too. But I'm one of those guys that comfort watches shows. Like, I've seen Mad Men probably ten times. I've seen Community when I want lighthearted comedy that's also brilliant. I've probably seen that ten times. I know The Office and Friends are kind of the two shows that a lot of people do that. I never did that. But uh, it's making me wonder if I should rewatch Game of Thrones 
I mean, the ending was so disappointing, but it, it's it's almost difficult to remember how amazing that show was through about season five. It was pretty good, and then it was okay. I don't know. All in all, I mean, I don't think they totally blew it. It's still a good series. It's still even a great series. It just had a disappointing ending. I, they, they just wanted to move on, you know. But uh, House of the Dragon starts later, I believe, next week. I think that might be next Sunday. Uh, we'll close off Burger Week uh, with some House of Dra- House of the Dragon on HBO. Really looking forward to that. George R. R. Martin is involved because, of course, he is. He's doing everything except actually finishing the damn books. So excited about that. And uh, yeah, HBO bringing it this this week. Between that, Hard Knocks has been good so far. We'll see what happens there. It's been uh, enjoyable. And again, that's coming from someone who maybe hasn't loved Hard Knocks. Over the last couple seasons. All right, hour number two in the books. We'll start our final hour next. Still more NFL to talk about. And look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Some bad news considering the uh, concerning the brother of a former NFL star. And uh, there's an update in the uh, lawsuit involving the deputies who took photos of the crash involving Kobe and Gianna Bryant. All that ahead. Appreciate you listening in Eugene, Fox Sports, Eugene, Klamath Falls, Roseburg, and of course here in Portland on 750 The Game. We'll be back with our number three next. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Final hour of the BFT. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. Appreciate you rolling with me on your Monday. So much to get to today. College football championship. We know this season it's in L.A. In 2024, it's going to be in Houston. Where is it going to be in 2025 or even 2026? Well, we found out it's headed to Atlanta and Miami, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta in 2025, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami in 2026. Now, Atlanta had it in 2018. Miami had it in 2021. To be fair, it was 20% capacity due to COVID. And I look at this and I go, okay, it makes sense. I'm not going to say that we should necessarily move it around. I'm not going to say that Portland should have one or something like crazy like that. Not even remotely. Should it be a neutral site game like it is now? Or should we do something where the top-ranked team gets to host it? I love that idea. Maybe reward the uh, the number one overall team in the college football playoff and actually let them host it. And I get there's a, a lot of uh, logistical issues with that if you're trying to do something like that. I totally understand it. You can't realistically do that, but I just love that idea as a as a thought experiment. Am I crazy? Am I way out in left field? You can tweet at me at Peter Sampson S A M P S O N. Let's talk a little NFL. For the first time in training camp, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow practice. If you remember, like three weeks ago, he had his appendix removed. So yesterday. The Bengals have a uh, fairly intense practice. He threw on the jersey, participated in several drills. Now, all of it 
all of his work, I should say, in the team drills. They came in a seven-on-seven period, and uh, Coach Zach, Zach Taylor said it was a little more strenuous than he had actually anticipated. He said after the practice that we talked about doing two reps in seven-on-seven, and then Burrow comes out and he took ten, and that's just how it goes sometime. And Burrow had been really kind of uh, slowly working his way back here. Before this, his most notable work during practice was a week ago today, and all he did was some light tosses during an impromptu walkthrough. So yesterday he decided to extend his limits, and that's great to see. I mean, not that having your appendix removed, you know, it's not a torn ACL or anything like that, but, you know, it's invasive surgery. It was fairly uh, surprise, I guess you, you could call it. The nature of it was a surprise. Obviously, if he was able to plan it, he probably would have done it earlier in the offseason. That's just how it goes. Appendicitis, hey, it happens when it happens. But it's good to see that Burrow's progressing along. And I'm really curious to see what exactly the Bengals are going to do this year. You know, they have a lot of talent, obviously, made the Super Bowl last year. But younger teams like that, you sort of look at them and you wonder if there's always or potentially going to be a little bit of a step back. Younger teams that tend to, uh, I think it's fair to say that the Bengals overachieved last year. I do. They're still a very good team. I'm not saying they're a team that should have been 8-8. Eight and eight. Or you know, or eight and nine, I should say, and somehow they made a Super Bowl. No, it's a great team. It's a playoff team, but I just wonder if they're going to take a little bit of a step back this year. I mean, am I crazy for thinking that? I I think that the uh, the Bengals, I, that seems to be the consensus with the team this year. It, it feels like oftentimes when you lose the Super Bowl, it, whoever that team is, kind of has a little hangover, goes into a little slump. I mean, we've seen that time and time again, unless your name's the New England Patriots. But for me personally, I actually kind of like the Bengals this year because they're so under the radar, and so many people have the same opinion that you just shared, that they're, like, not even favored in their own division. You know, people like the Ravens more. Some people like the Steelers more. And to me, Joe Burrow's just such a winner. They were a drive away from winning the Super Bowl last year in L.A., and I... They kind of fixed their problems, some of them at least. You know, uh, they had an awful line last year, and that was kind of the problem with them. Yeah. And what did they do? I mean, they they fixed their line for the most part this uh, this off season. They uh, they kind of changed things up a little bit. So, I it, it is concerning if you're a Bengals fan the fact that Joe Burrow hasn't really been full full gear yet with the appendicitis. But another year of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, one of the like one of the best groups of uh, skill guys in the entire league. And then, uh, you know, a solid defense that I think was overlooked a lot of last year and a, I think a good coach. And to me, I, I kind of like the Bengals. I, I don't see them winning the AFC this year. The AFC is loaded, but I do think that they're being overlooked, and I could totally see them winning the AFC North making another deep run. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You look at that division. Of course, you have the Ravens. Who knows what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson? I know he doesn't want to negotiate once the season starts. But they're certainly, especially after all the injury issues they dealt with last year. And then you have the Browns. I mean, we still don't know exactly what's going to happen with Watson. I mean, they're going to take a major hit with that. They have huge questions at quarterback. But at the other skill positions, they're fairly solid. And and again, it, like, it wouldn't shock me if the Bengals are right there again. Because I think you hit it right on the head where you say Joe Burrow's a winner. He is a winner. He's so great and he's so young. 
when you just see a team like that across the board sort of seem to elevate, it's always a little bit of a question where you say, man, is there just going to be a little bit of a hangover team-wide in this scenario? I'm not sure, but you're right. They needed to fix their O-line. I mean, they they needed to before he got his knee practically ripped off, you know, and then they drafted Chase and everyone went, what are you doing when Panay Sewell was available? Well, it turns out, yeah, that was actually sort of a good decision to draft Jamar Chase. But you're right. They needed protection. And I mean, in that Super Bowl, the Rams, they were able to bother Joe Burrow. That defense was able to handle that line pretty well. So that was key for them, man. I mean, okay, so I pulled up their gambling odds uh, okay. for this year, and here's why they're overlooked. They have the 12th best odds to win the Super Bowl this year. Isn't that crazy? Like, they were, they were what, 50 yards away from going and winning that thing last year in the Super Bowl? Of course, Aaron Donald disrupted things in that final drive, but they were right there. And, you know, if a couple plays go differently, they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. They're the defending champs. Here are the teams that have better odds than them this year. Bills, Buccaneers, Chiefs, Packers, Rams, Chargers. Niners, Broncos, Cowboys, Ravens, Eagles. They like the Eagles more than the, uh, the Bengals this yeah, year. Yeah, that's, that's insane. I mean, I think the, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals take a step Cowboys? back. But the, yeah, I think with the Cowboys, I think that's just Cowboy fans betting them up. Right. You know what I that mean? That happens with the Cowboys and the Lakers and Always. the Yankees. And, yep. Yeah. Uh, but, man, I, I just think they're they're being overlooked. They're in the same neighborhood here as the Colts and the Browns and we're talking about a team with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and a, a solid defense and a, a revised O-line. Like, wouldn't you say they have a better team than last year? Who'd they lose? Yeah, again, I, I don't think they necessarily have a worse team. It's just I wonder about maybe some guys taking a step back. That's the real question Including I have. Joe Burrow with the appendicitis. Well, here's my thing also is I would argue that they – could have easily lost that game to the Raiders in the first round of the playoffs. The Raiders had yep. the ball at the very end of the game. In the second round, when they played the Titans, they gave up, what, eight or nine sacks, and the Titans were just awful on offense. Like, the Titans were the better team that game, but the Bengals somehow pulled it off. And then in the uh, AFC Championship game, same thing. Chiefs had the big lead at halftime. Bengals made a huge run. Like, not I'm not saying they're lucky, because they were a good team, and Joe Burrow is obviously one of the top players in the NFL. But it was kind of a luck thing that they got to the Super Bowl. It almost got a Super Bowl championship out of it. They are in a tough division. The Ravens are going to be really good. If Deshaun Watson plays at all, the Browns are going to be really good. And the Steelers, Mike Tomlin has never had a team under 500 before. Right. So I understand why their odds are that low. Like I, I like the Bengals. I don't know how much I like them. Like I could see them missing the playoffs or I could see them being the number one seed in the AFC. Like I think the range of them is really wide because they are so young. And like you said, Peter, there could be some stepbacks, but they also have Joe Burrow, which is the most important position. And he's awesome. Yeah. It, man, that's really interesting though, that you have the Eagles and Cowboys ahead of them. Cause you start naming them off and you go like, okay, yeah, bills. Of course the bills are going to be there. And you know, you look at some other, you know, the chargers, Hey, that makes sense. The chiefs are still going to be right around there. The Packers, well, Aaron Rodgers, Yeah. He can always make something happen. You go up and down that list, but you know, the Cardinals, the, the Rams, I don't think the Rams are going to repeat. I mean, I'm worried about Stafford's elbow. Uh, Vaughn Miller left. I know he was on his last legs, but any, any former pro bowler that plays next to Aaron Donald automatically looks good. I wonder if Cooper Cup is going to be the triple crown winner again. Because if he's not, well, you've still got a good team. Do you have a Super Bowl champion team? I don't think so. But to see them, you said 12th? 12th best odds. That feels a little, I see, I would say, you know, okay, they made it last year. I'd put them at like 8th, ninth. 
I, I just I don't know that they're going to have uh, just everyone excelling at the level that they did last year. And then you're right. I mean, look, and luck is part of it. Don't get me wrong. Every team got lucky. The Rams got lucky, too. But I don't know that the ball's going to bounce the same way in the playoffs this year if they get there, and I assume they will, that it did last year. I mean, so let's go through this. Buccaneers lost, or excuse me, who lost the, the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl back in 2020. The Chiefs, you know, they, they were pretty close to, to winning it the next year. They they kind of choked against the Bengals. Mm-hmm. The year before that, 2019, uh, the Super Bowl, the Niners. You know, the Niners, they uh, they kind of took a, a little bit of a, uh, a step back that that following year. And then the, the year before. Yeah. The, the I, I, I have this up here, yeah. So the Chiefs. Uh, when they won Super Bowl, they finished 12 and five. The next year, made the playoffs. The year before, the Niners uh, made the Super Bowl, lost, missed the playoffs at six and ten. The Rams, the year before that, when they lost the Patriots, Ugh. they were nine and seven. Uh, then missed the playoffs the next season. The Patriots had lost. Then they won the next Super Bowl. Falcons lost the Super Bowl, made the playoffs the next year at ten and six. Uh, and then the Panthers before that lost the Super Bowl, were six and ten. So. They're, you know, half of those teams missed the playoffs in the next season. So it's not it's not a given that the Bengals are going to be really good. And I think if you look back at those situations, we all probably thought, yeah, these teams are going to be back next year. Like, you look at all these teams, and they had good runs, but some of them have never come back. The Panthers have never been back up. The Falcons have fallen off a cliff. Yeah, Is this going to happen to the Bengals? Probably not because Joe Burrow is so good. But historically, NFL, it's hard to get back to that spot after you do make the Super Bowl. Yes, so much has to go your way. And I think a lot of these two, and especially you were talking that Rams, uh, Patriots, and then the next year, you, you generally you got to stay healthy to make the Super Bowl. And then the next year, you don't have that luck on your side. I mean, Todd Gurley stopped being Todd Gurley, frankly, in the run-up to that Super Bowl. Yeah. And then the next year, all, well, without Todd Gurley, what do you have? Well, Jared Goff, that's a problem. So, and I think that's what happens to a lot of these teams. So, I mean, the Bengals, again, you mentioned the skill positions and you're right on the money, but like what happens if Chase, you know, fractures a wrist or Joe Mixon has swelling in his knee? There's potentially a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity to just fall back a little bit. Yeah. It's it's just one of the more intriguing teams in the NFL because you look at how they built their team. They did it the right way, right? They did it through the draft. They did it with the draft and a great quarterback that they hit on, and they've put guys around him to make him successful. Mm-hmm. You look at all the skill guys, like you mentioned, Sean. I mean, all those guys are so good. You know, Tyler Boyd, uh, you know, and Jamar Chase, as we mentioned, they got some tight. They got the running backs. And now they're building the offensive line. They're building it all for Joe Burrow. So they're doing it the right way, and it seems like they're going to be back for sure. But just the NFL is so weird, and it's just, you know, there's so many teams that come out of nowhere, just like the Bengals. We thought the Bengals were going to be terrible last year. They make the Super Bowl. Who's going to be that team this year? Yeah. Well, Chargers. You took it right out of my mouth. I was going to say Chargers, I anybody? Yeah. I think it's their year. They're they're being smart. They understand, man, when you strike gold on a quarterback, it doesn't matter how young he is. You have to build around him while he's on that rookie deal. You have to in the NFL because once all of a sudden, you know, Russell Wilson's making 30 million bucks or, and I speak from experience, Jared freaking Goff gets $24 million a year because what are you going to do? Let him go. You got to keep him. You're hamstrung. And the Chargers, they ha- they understand the landscape of the league, and they are striking now. Herbert is not going to hit his peak probably, assuming health, for you know, four or five years yeah. from now. But now is the time while you can afford to put a team around him. I mean, he's had the best two first two years of anybody ever. He's only going to get better. And he's only going to get better. So you're right, Sean. And, and I'm sorry, you're right, Peter, is that you got to build around 
the the quarterback on that rookie contract. That's the way to do it in the NFL. And Herbert is that guy. I think you guys are both right on with the Chargers. Like they look like they could be that team. The problem is that division's so good. You know, the Raiders are going to be better. The Chiefs are obviously great, and the Broncos with Russell Wilson are going to be good. Yeah, like that AFC West is just going to be gnarly. Man. It, it's like how the, would you guys rank it? As far as the AFC West, AFC West. What, what's the ranking? I think it, it could like. You know, my first team could be your fourth team. It's yeah. that crazy. Yeah, it. Re- I, I mean, I, I have to go Chiefs one. Like, that's what really? I did too. But but okay. again, losing Hill, but they but they replaced him, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, and, and they got another receiver. Sky Moore received Juju. Juju, Juju that's right. where it is. Yeah. So both of those guys together. Look, neither of those guys is Tyreek Hill. No. But I mean, technically, Mahomes has more weapons than he had before, even though he doesn't have a straight up ninety nine that he had with Tyreek Hill. I got to put the Chiefs there. I'm with you there. What's the rest of your order? Yeah, I would go Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers, Raiders. I I, I like Russ. I know a lot of Northwest fans don't like Russell Wilson because, you know, he wanted to leave Seattle. But I think he is awesome, and I think Denver has pieces around him as well. They were just missing that quarterback. So I think Denver's two. Yeah. Uh, and the, LA's three. The, the Broncos have already had a couple wide receiver injuries in the preseason, though. Yeah. He's going to be a little short on weapon. I, I'm with you. Chiefs. And I'm going to flip. I'm going Chargers second, then Broncos. And then, like, the Raiders are a good team, too, though. But somehow I've got them last. Yeah, I feel bad putting the Raiders last because they're, they're not team. bad. Yeah. They're good. What do you have, Sean? How do you have it? Yeah, I'm going to go Chargers at one. I They added J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack. And I know they haven't done anything oh, in the postseason. They, yeah. they, they had a really good offseason. I think this is the year. I mean, they had a first-year head coach last year. He made some mistakes. But I do think that this is their year. Chiefs, too. Raiders three. I, for whatever reason, I'm I'm not that uh, not that big onto the Broncos right now. I don't know whatever it is. I know they had a key receiver, uh, Chris Patrick. Or was that Tim Patrick? Tim Patrick excuse yeah. me. He got hurt um, during the the preseason, and yeah, I just for whatever reason, I think Russ is he's getting up there in age, and mm-hmm. I, I just uh, I want to see it. And I, I'm not sure I loved their head coaching hiring uh, with Nathaniel Hackett. It felt like they were. My, my initial reaction when they made that hiring was like, oh, they're going for Aaron Rodgers. They got the Aaron Rodgers guy, you know, their OC. They were, that. yeah. And then they ended up getting Russell Wilson, and I respect them going all in. But I, to me, I, the Broncos are the ones that I'm, uh, I just don't really see it yet. What's interesting, too, is, you know, not every team has real questions outside of, well, what are they going to do this year? But there are big-time questions for every single team in this division. I mean, mm-hmm. like, how's Mah- they lost Tyreek Hill. How's Mahomes going to look with the new weapons? Obviously, the Chargers, they put this team around Justin Herbert. Are they going to execute? You mentioned Wilson there. Uh, the Raiders adding, uh, oh, I'm blanking. Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, yeah. And, uh, like Derek Carr, underrated, uh, overrated? Properly rated, top ten, top twelve. I mean, Derek Carr's a damn good quarterback. He, he just let, plays in that division. He led them to the playoffs yeah. last season. And when their coach got fired, their receiver got a DUI and is in jail. Like they had a lot of problems last year, and they withstood all of it. Got to the playoffs. Yeah, it's gonna be fun in the AFC West. By the way, if you're listening in Eugene, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Stephen Eugene, home of the Chargers, you can catch Justin Herbert mm-hmm. all year long. In Eugene, so you're going to want to make sure to do that while you're handling your errands on Sundays. That's a smart way to do it, right? That's a that's a good. That's a pro move. That's I, a pro I, move. I was looking at the Chargers, man, and just like I mentioned, they added J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack. You know, their their first round pick this year was Zion Johnson, Boston College offensive guard. So their last two first round picks have been Rashawn Slater 
and now Zion Johnson. So they're going to protect Herbert well. I'm I'm super bullish on the Chargers. Yeah, I I I'm I'll be honest, I am too. I'm 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 ranking the Chiefs higher for the regular season. They've got the the experience. They've got the reps. You know, they still have Travis Kelsey. They still have Patrick Mahomes. They still have some guys, but. I really, really like the Chargers to make a postseason run this year. It's going to be fun. Tell me I'm crazy. 503-417-7575. Of course, on Twitter, at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. We'll go away, come back. A little more NFL talk ahead. And, man, I saw a throwback in the theater over the weekend. It was so rad. I want to talk about that as well. Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. to the program. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. If you caught last Friday's show, you know that that was my anthem. Steven, while you were out and I was in for you, we were, we were, we were discussing what's your anthem? Like what song? And you know, JC, I don't remember their songs, but you know, John and Anna, the, it was, it was lyrically was the reason it was uplifting. And I mean, it was cool stuff. And you know, Sean gave his and mine. I was literally, I don't give a damn about the words. It's just that riff. I said, man, if God had a rock band, that's what it would sound like. Stephen Vaughn, what's your anthem, man? Ooh, gosh, dang. Put you I, on the spot. I know, man. Um, oh, I'd probably have to go with something by the weekend. Just I love the weekend. So uh, <laughs> that was Sean too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, we mean Sean on the same page uh, here. Unofficial. I mean, officially it was the weekend. Unofficially, it'd probably be some hip hop song that I didn't want to play on there. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. the the main producer that the weekend, and that's not my uh, my speed for uh, like style of music. But I saw a really interesting. It's not really a documentary but it was a, like an hour-long video where they were with his uh his main producer and talking about how they uh developed the track around the the general idea and i'm blanking on the guy's name but man there is no denying the level of skill now i'm not even talking about the weekend himself i'm talking about his main partner it was just production skills that I can only dream of. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm pretty damn good. But, like, just unbelievable. The amount of work and just he had, like, a, a golden ear, man. It was wild. Yeah, I mean, I love The weekend. Like, he has a great story of how he, like, got into the business and stuff. You know, he was uh, he was homeless. He was living in his car writing stuff. And, uh, you know, his first album was basically just a mixtape. That he had, yeah, and yeah, and became super popular off of that, and so you know, I like, I like his real old stuff. I think it's really cool. So something like that, you know, it's a little, little darker. Uh, that's my kind of speed. Did you guys like? Uh, he did the Super Bowl halftime show. Was that this year? Or was that a that whole was year ago? Yeah, did, I enjoyed that. I know a lot of people kind of clowned it, but also it's just what we do is clown the uh, the uh, Super Bowl halftime Anything. show, no yeah. matter what it is. Again, he's not. That's not even my favorite artist or anything like that. I can name a couple of his big hits. I really enjoyed it. Even the weird vertigo inducing running through the stuff. I thought it was pretty fun. Did you guys like that? I loved it. I loved it. You know, and he was. Uh, he actually pulled from that halftime show out of his own pocket because uh, there was COVID bud- budget restrictions, and he wanted to make it really yeah. big and good. 
And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed this past one, too, with the uh, Snoop Dogg and all the hip-hop artists for the most part. And, yeah, no, I thought that one was fantastic. Yeah, the last two were definitely good for me. I mean, the, the hip-hop one, this last one, was like my... That was I mean, dope. That was my generation. Like, that's when yeah. I was in high school just partying. So, like, we were just going crazy at my house with my wife and my brother. And his uh, his wife is now. She was there. Like, we were just, like, dancing the whole time, just so cool. rapping, singing. Like, it was... The last two was have awesome. been awesome. It was awesome, man. Yeah, watching it at the home. I got the big old home theater. I made sure to oh, kick the subwoofer up just a sound, little. sound, man. Oh, yeah. Now, to be... I don't have, like, Dolby 7. Point one, but uh, you know I've got the Atmos. I've got five point one surround the big old sub, you know five hundred watts, and I just crank that bad boy and let it go. I mean the best the best Super Bowl halftime for me. It's I mean this year's was really good. Uh, it's probably got to be Prince. I mean that one was just incredible, especially when the rain came down. I mean Prince was so badass. He really was, and uh, I really enjoyed that one. But a lot of them, I mean, they're a letdown, you know, because it's so it's so difficult logistically to, okay, you're going to perform for 22 minutes, and you can't hear yourself, and there's going to be 600 dancers, and it has to be perfect, but also no one's really going to care because they're all going to be using the restroom in the stadium, and you need to time it so that an F-14 flies by at the perfect time. Go. And you go, well, gee, why did the Red Hot Chili Peppers suck? Like, of course they did. So while there have been a million bad ones, like I thought the Prince one was dope. And that's why, again, I think hip hop, it, it really lends itself to that because no one even has to pretend to actually be playing their instrument. Right. You just don't even have to pretend to. Yes, it's melodic, but like you don't have to like worry about auto-tuning everything perfectly in real time. You can just let the guys do it, or and girls, Mary G. Oblige was there. there let them just do it. I thought that lended itself perfectly to an L.A. Super Bowl. And that's why Prince was so good. And that's why he's just so good as an artist in general, because he played his own stuff, and he sang, and he did it all. He's like it's, it's Yeah, it's unbelievable the fact that he was so talented. Yeah. He could do all you that. guys have any predictions for the Phoenix Super Bowl this year, who it's going to be? Mm. I do. Give it. I, I, I think it's going to be uh, Silk Sonic, Bruno Mars, Anderson Pack. That's my prediction. Interesting. Okay. Well, Bruno's already done it. Yeah, Bruno. Right, Bruno it. did it a couple of years ago. But uh, have you guys heard Silk Sonic at all? No, no idea. Check it out. I think you'd like it. Peter. I I know who Bruno Mars is, and I know who Anderson Pack is. Yeah, but they I had a little group together. Yeah, that's interesting. Like they they have shows in Vegas that go for so much money. Like they're a high commodity. I think they're. I I don't think they have anything to do with Glendale. I could also see Adele doing one. I could see that. I wouldn't be surprised if they go back. After doing the weekend, uh, and then of course the 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 L.A. hip hop one, I'll just we'll just call it the Death Row one, I guess. Uh, who did it the year before the uh, Shakira and J Lo? That's right, that's right. I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to, and I'm going to use my air quotes when I say rock, because it's going to be something middle of the road. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like have Foo Fighters ever done it. Yeah, that'd be a good one. But yeah. but but of course, yeah. I mean Taylor Hawkins passed away, so they're either of course not going to do that, or that'll be their big reemergence, and we'll all remember Taylor as we do that. And and I say that because like, I mean respect to that band and respect to Dave Grohl, but they haven't really been good in like twenty years. But it's safe, you know what I mean? They have to do something that has mass appeal, which really means that outside of like, hey, you love the weekend and you love you know Dre and Snoop, that was in Eminem, that was rad, like. When you appeal to everyone, you kind of appeal to no one, don't you? And so something like Foo Fighters would be something like that. It's really hard to reach everyone. I'm not sure I'd be I'd be touched by the Foo Fighters personally. I, like, I, w- I wouldn't. You know, that's like, my... right. But like when it's the weekend or like the hip hop, I know like you know the hip hop probably turned a lot of people off. 
and like probably the weekend did too. Like you're never gonna reach right. everyone unless it's like Michael Jackson, and I'm not sure or like Prince, you know, like right. where everyone just acknowledges greatness. I'm not sure that exists today. By the way, if you're listening and you're not acknowledging Prince's greatness, assuming you're not driving a car, when this show is over, jump on YouTube and look up Prince. Uh, performing while my guitar gently weeps at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony with Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, and Danny Harrison because it was right after George Harrison passed away. You will never see more guitar pyrotechnics than what Prince casually, casually shows up and just bangs out in that song. I've never seen anything like it. And again, if you're not familiar with Prince, you think like, oh, like kind of R&B inflected, rock inflected, like it's his own thing. There's soul, there's all of it, and it's together. Oh, no, 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 no. He's also he's also one of the most talented, just straight up musicians of all time. It's unbelievable stuff. One of my big regrets, I didn't see Prince. He did a couple shows here in Portland. I mean, we're probably talking 10 years ago now, definitely on the later part of his career. And they were these uh, small shows at the Rosalind Theater. If you guys know the Rosalind Theater, we're talking like a thousand seats, maybe. And he wasn't going to play any of his big stuff. It was almost like we're just doing B-sides, deep cuts, stuff like that. Tickets weren't even that expensive. It was like 50 bucks to see Prince in a tiny, tiny, like the whole venue. It's like the size of this entire cluster of stations, this office. That's it. But they were impossible to get. It was one of those things. He was doing two nights, and they each of them sold out in three minutes, and that was that. And uh, as far as I know, he, he didn't come back. Maybe he was back at the you know Moda Center or something. But I never got to see Prince. Deeply, deeply regret that. Let me know who should be the next uh, halftime artist. 503-417-7575. Sean's voting for what's called Silk Sonic. Silk Sonic. I'll check that out. I'm uh, I'm I'm throwing my money in uh, the Foo Fighters making their triumphant return to bore everybody. Steven, you're not in yet. You don't have a guess yet. Not, no guess yet. All right, count we'll, me in for Adele as well. One of those two. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right, we'll go away. Come back. More sports talk on the other side. Little NFL, Kobe Bryant case, and more. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson, Bald Face Truth. JC will be back next week. I'm keeping the seat warm. I always love doing so. It's always good to uh, get to jump on the statewide radio show. You know what I mean? I have the Portland show, and I love the Portland show. We have fun. In fact, if you're in Portland... Stick around, because at the end of this show, I'll start my show, if that makes sense. You get four hours of me in a three-hour segment and a one-hour segment. It's, I know, so convoluted. Don't know if this is official or not, but it's tweeted by a blue check mark and retweeted by another blue check mark. So I'm going to go ahead and just pretend that that's news and it's legit, because that's how responsible journalism works, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not a journalist. I don't pretend to do so. The Sacramento Kings will open versus Portland October 19th. Again, take that with a grain of salt. I don't know that that's a fact. I also don't know that that means that that is Portland's opening game. Maybe the Blazers play the night before at home because often you'll see back-to-backs road home with the trip as close as Sacramento is. But it's very possible that the Blazers' season opener will be 
October 19th. Don't know if it's a road game. Don't know if it's a home game. Don't know if the Blazers will have played before then. But, uh, again, I'm going to go ahead and just assume that that's legit. That means that we are close to the NBA schedule being released. It always happens this week. Sometimes maybe a little earlier in August. Again, I think we're having some delays because we're trying uh, the schedule makers. <laughs> Do you like how I said we? Like I'm just part of that process, guys. That's good. Um, they're all they're trying to sort of navigate. I think uh, uncertainty in Brooklyn and maybe possibly in Utah too, and seeing if they can wait as long as possible. If those resolve themselves, they can make a more appealing schedule based on that. And if there's one thing that I want to learn on the back end of sports. Like if I could be part of one process just to stand in the corner and watch, it would be making the NBA schedule. It's unbelievable how they do this to try to maximize intriguing games. It has to be relatively fair. And by fair, I mean, you know, you, you got to play your conference opponents four times, except there's one that you play three times. And then you're uh, the opposite conference twice with a, a road and a home you got to make that all match up. The dates have to work. And, oh, by the way, you have to navigate all the arenas also hosting concerts by Silk Sonic and the Foo Fighters and Adele all throughout the NBA season. You have to make all that fit. I can't imagine the computational power that goes into this. It's it's like half art as much as it is, you know, a spreadsheet or a database that you're just navigating through. So I'm really curious to see that. And, guys, as we uh, – await the uh the blazers slash nba schedule you know it's going to come out whenever it comes out probably within a week but we're going to start seeing more and more of these leaks and you know sean on the pulse i've already kind of talked about what i'm looking for with the Blazers schedule what are you sort of looking for when a blazer schedule comes out what always stands out to you guys yeah it's always just the back-to-backs if they ever have any four and five nights uh, I mean, those are the big ones, I think, for me, just with the NBA. And I think early on now, this season especially, uh, with some new pieces coming in, Chauncey Billups, I mean, he coached last season, but it was you know what I would call a fake season as the Blazers were trying to lose. Yeah. They weren't trying to win games. I can't take anything seriously that Chauncey did. I want to see who they play at the start of the year. So if they do play the Kings in game one, I think it's a good matchup for the Blazers because the Kings aren't supposed to be that great. So... You can try out some new things, try out the new pieces that you got, because if they come out when it's a tough schedule at the start of the year, I think the Blazers could have a tough start, and that could just roll it into bad things. So I think for Portland, you got to have to hope you get a little help from the scheduling gods this year, and you get a little easier schedule at the front end. Yeah, I'm always looking at national TV games. How many national TV games are the Blazers going to get this year? I mean, the West is so loaded, and um, we just talked about it with the Christmas Day schedule. Like, there's... There's a lot of teams in line, I believe, uh, ahead of Portland. You know, some are always in line no matter how good oh, yeah. they are, like the Knicks and the, the Bulls and the Lakers, and none of those teams are that that great right now. But then there's so many other great teams, maybe even from smaller markets. So I'm not sure how many national TV games the Blazers are going to get this year. The other thing I look for is, um, you know, when are the Lakers coming to town? What are tickets prices for that? Like, when are the Warriors? Like, what are the dates for the those games? Because it's always... You know, it's always a hot commodity, always a hot ticket yeah. when L.A. is in town or uh, really, like, you know, defending champs, warriors, whoever, like, the big stars are. And so then you go and look at those tickets. You look at which date it is. I, I always look at my birthdays in February, so I'm like, oh, maybe I could do a Blazer game on my birthday. You know, they play on that day. Yeah, that I mean, that's frankly how I used to uh, essentially pay for my season tickets when I had them. Is you look at the schedule, and when Laker fa- uh, when the Lakers come to town – 
Blazer fan, you know it if you've had season tickets. We gouge Laker fans. You put the, those tickets that I spent, you know, you get the discount for season tickets. You know, they're like 33 bucks a piece. And I'd sell a pair. You want these? Yeah, 140 bucks a pop. And they would sell. You do that twice, well, bam, there I've paid for nearly a third or a quarter of my season ticket package. Uh, the Warriors. That was a little more painful when the Warriors would do it because they were actually really fun and really good. But you could sell those for big-time money. And then shockingly, when um, it's maybe not shockingly now considering how good they are, but the Celtics, even when the Celtics were completely mediocre, man, I mean, or, or worse, they would come to town and you could jack the prices way up. And Boston fan, they would pay it always. Yeah. I mean, who, who's your favorite team to watch the Blazers play? Is it the Lakers because there's – they're kind of the rival, or is it a team like the Warriors, like you said, because they're probably the most fun team to watch. I think for me, like if I've been choosing a team to watch, I would want to watch Luka and the Mavericks, like I said earlier, or Ja and the Memphis Grizzlies. I think those are the two most exciting teams that I would want to watch. Yeah, it used to be uh, the Lakers a long time ago, but it's funny. I got a buddy who's a huge Laker fan, lifelong. He's not a bandwagoner, and, and you know, I'd talk about the rivalry, and he's like, what are you talking about? We're winning championships, and, like, congratulations, you beat us ten times in a row in the regular season. Like, the Lakers won the championship this year, so who cares? So, uh, yeah, the Warriors are always a blast, especially because, you know, you, you know Dame's not going to take a night off, you, you know, going up against the hometown team. Uh, I agree Memphis is going to be really fun, and, Sean, I'm probably going to steal your answer here, but uh, Minnesota, Timberwolves, that's going to be a blast. I'm going to go my favorite players. I, I kind of base this off my players. Like, which players do I enjoy watching the most? I think I love watching Nikola Jokic. I think Denver would be a really fun ticket. Uh, the Warriors, obviously, not only because of Steph, but because they're loaded. Um, LeBron and AD is an obvious one. Jaw is so much fun to watch. I caught a, uh, I caught a Grizzlies-Nuggets game in Denver last year, and it was a blast. It was a jaw, like, 40-point outing. Yeah. It was... Uh, the Nuggets lost to the Memphis, but uh, yeah, those those teams are so much fun. But yeah, the Timberwolves are going to be a hot ticket this year as well, or maybe they won't be. Maybe that's just like a sneaky buy, you know, yeah. because the Timberwolves with Anthony Edwards and Cat and Rudy Gobert and the rest of the players they have, I think they're going to be super good. I'm so. going gonna, gonna to throw in there as well, man, the the Milwaukee Bucks. Gian, Giannis is the guy, and obviously everyone knows about Giannis, but even when he was first starting, like he wasn't a star, but he was a star because everyone knew he was going to be a star, if that makes sense. He is just worth the price of admission like no one else I've seen, and I've seen prime LeBron multiple times. The first time I saw the Bucks in Moda Center, man, the, someone grabbed a steal. I couldn't even tell you who it was. It's just some garbage Bucks player. But Giannis caught it at half court. He literally dribbled once it for the entire length of the offensive side of the court. He caught it fully in stride, one big dribble, and took two huge strides with that. Picked it up, two huge strides, didn't travel, and threw it down with a ferocity I haven't seen since. Uh, man. Probably the hardest dunk I've ever seen in my life is when I watched Jonathan Simmons baptize Myers Leonard when Simmons was still with the Spurs. I was in the house for that LeBron dunk on Nurk, too, that still gets played back sometimes. But that wasn't really the own that a lot of people think it was because props to Nurk for challenging that shot. That Simmons dunk on Myers back in, like, 2015, though, man, I thought he he was going to, like, Benjamin Button. By the time he stood up, he's going to be a baby again. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten my fair share of dunked on. I've been dunked on twice in my career. Uh, it's not a good feeling. 
But it's one of those things where it's like you don't necessarily want to, you know, you don't, you want to be like Nurk and you want to contest it. On both of mine, I tried to take a charge, you know, like a classic white guy. Didn't work. Just banged all over. Didn't feel good. Yeah, that's uh, that's got to be a bad feeling. I mean, I, it's nothing that I've experienced. Uh, who are some other fun teams? The Hawks, Trey Young, Dejounte Murray. Well, we didn't even mention the NBA the favorites, the Celtics. The Celtics, yeah. Celtics the favorites, the favorites the right now? They're the favorites in the NBA right now. That makes sense. I mean, look, they, they've still got youth on their side. They're going to be extra motivated. I mean, it's just like I said, all season long last year and into the playoffs, it all depends on Jason Tatum. If Tatum's going to unlock his skill, they're golden. If he's going to revert back to Tataming, which is what he did in the playoffs. But, in the uh, finals. He was good. In the play. finals. You're right. He was dominant up until the finals. But, I mean, you you were on this show where as we were leading up, I said, man, is he going to shrink under the big lights? Is he going to go back to deciding that he's uh, 2006 Kobe and just go, if you want the ball, go get the rebound? And that's sort of what happened. He's got all the skill in the world, all the skill in the world to be a legit top five player. He played like it for big stretches last year. If they're, if they're going to win it all, he's going to have to unlock it under the bright lights. It's very possible. Pete, I got a question for you about the Blazers. You know, last season with Chauncey coming in, we kind of were willing to give the Blazers up, you know, a pass for the first couple oh, yeah. of games. How long are you willing to give the Blazers a pass this season with the veterans that they brought in? It was not young guys they brought in. Yeah. They brought in Jeremy Grant, who's a vet. Gary Payton's a vet. Uh, you know, they brought in some vets. How many games are you willing to give Chauncey? to get this thing on the right track? That's a great question. It depends on a few things. I'm going to give you a bad answer to a great question. It depends. So if, uh, you know, if they're still dealing with with injuries somehow, oh, man, Grant got hurt. Oh, Dame's ab. It turns out that he's lying and it's a serious condition. That can sort of color things. What does the schedule look like? But I think, look, if everything is a go, you're expecting to win. Look, you get a few weeks to work out, you know, work out the offense, work out the defense, maybe work out rotations. Shaden Sharp, does he sit on the bench? Does he go to the G League or does he play, play 18 minutes a game? It takes time to figure that out. A month? Yeah. Is that fair? I think it's fair. Yeah. And because this is a team that is trying to win now. Yeah. Right? Like that's the thing. They're trying to win now. So I think it is actually really important what the schedule looks like for the Blazers in that first month or two. Because it's not going to be right away that's going to click. It's going to take a little bit. There's going to be wrinkles. There's going to be some wrinkles yeah. and there's going to be some problems. So, yeah, I mean, I think a month is fair. And if it's not doing well, man, they got to figure some things out. If they lose to the Kings night one, like, sometimes it's a tell what you do on the first game of the season. I remember a couple years ago, remember when they played the Jazz and just got yep. absolutely, they got their, their butts kicked in I, that game. I will say, though. Portland is good for one inexplicable loss in Sacramento every single year, dude. It's like a Pac-12 team going to uh, going to the playing a terrible Arizona State team. It, it, you're just losing the yeah, desert, man. That a, happens to the Blazers game. in Sacramento. Well, it was last year where they played the Kings and Harrison Barnes hit what seven threes. The first game of the <sighs> season. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, it happens, man. So yeah. This should be coming out soon. Really curious to see what it looks like. And, and Stephen, I think you hit it on the head. That's sort of what I'm preaching to. The early schedule is really going to matter. They're going to have to figure some things out. This is a team that, honestly, I think people are going to be surprised. They're going to be pretty good. They're not going to be great. They're not going to make crazy noise in the playoffs. Do not be surprised if they get there. Do not be surprised if the wheels fall off again as they attempt to retool. All right, one more segment coming up next. Peter Sampson in for Kanzano. It's the BFT. to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Final segment of the show. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald-faced truth. 
The brother of retired NFL cornerback Akeem Talib turned himself into authorities today. Police identified him as the suspect in a shooting death of a coach at a youth football game in Texas. Police said the murder warrant was issued for Yakub Talib. He's 39 years old. That happened Saturday night. Uh, there was a shooting, uh, Michael Hickman, 43 years old. This was in the Dallas area. And according to witnesses, Talib pulled out a gun and shot Hickman multiple times after a disagreement between the opposing coaching staff of two youth football teams over calls made by the officiating crew led to a physical fight. Hickman was later pronounced dead at the hospital. Police say no other injuries reported. Yakub Talib is the brother of Akib Talib, of course, the five-time Pro Bowler who announced his retirement just a couple years ago. And this is interesting. Akib Talib was just named last month as a contributor for uh, Amazon's uh, Thursday Night Football. Prime Video has taken over Thursday Night Football. They've made all these splashy moves. Akib Talib, former Ram, by the way, I like Akib Talib, but uh, you know he's excited for this new deal and now his brother has allegedly killed someone in a youth uh, football game here police said after the shooting he fled he took the gun with him that's Yakub Talib don't bring guns to youth sports games please just don't do that this is just a sad situation he turned himself in he says he wants to tell his side of the story it sounds like he's not disputing it this is just an awful situation guys it's like, at what point do we, like, what what can be done? Like, I mean, we're really just kind of, like, officers everywhere, like, trying to protect youth games. Like, it shouldn't get to that point, right? And as a guy, now that I have a kid who's seven, a younger at three, this is, like, the biggest fear. Like, you can't live in fear, but, like, you're in such a, you know, a compressed area that this can happen at any point. But it's just, it's sad that we take these games so seriously as adults uh, when they're just kids' games and it's supposed to be fun for them. Yeah, yeah, just a, a terrible situation. So uh be interesting to see what happens there. It, look, you know, we we talk, we even joke about don't be that guy at the youth sports game. Don't fight, don't argue with the rest. We, we just talked about this not that long ago. This is a whole different level. It's just terrible. Don't just don't bring your gun to a youth sports game, please. Do just you, don't do it. Do you think that this is going to affect Akeem Tlaib and Amazon in any way? I hope not. Honestly, it shouldn't, but I could I could see it doing that. Like, hey, look, we're trying to launch this multi-billion dollar endeavor, and we want it to be shiny and happy and fun, and this is potentially going to be a distraction. I could see them maybe not straight up you know, nullifying his contract. Akeem didn't do anything wrong as far as we know here. He's not even involved in any way, shape, or form, but I could see, well, just while this plays out, maybe step away and then we'll look at bringing you back. Any of those things could happen. And it's a shame because I really like Akeem Tlaib as yeah. a player commentator. He's he's fun, he's different, and he uh, he adds a perspective that you don't off, always get from uh, color commentators. So I hope I hope that he's behind the mic this football season. Yeah, remains to be seen. Again, Amazon, you know, their big foray into it, and, you, and obviously they've had the broadcast before, but you know they've got uh, Al Michaels and uh, obviously Kirk Tlaib, Herbstreet. Kirk Herbstreet as well. Akeem Tlaib, they're putting together a killer team. It's going to be supposedly a great broadcast and even you know me as a guy who i don't really care who's on the call i don't really care what channels i just want the game man i i do but i'm really curious to see how this goes because if it goes really well i could see this leading in a way you know obviously apple tv has mls i could see like 
a, a major sport. Like, you know what? Screw all you regional sports networks, sort of the theme of the top of the show. The NBA is going to Apple TV or Prime or something like that. We're probably a decade away, but I could see it happening, truly. Yeah. So. It's tough, man. It's a t- tough situation, but hopefully, hopefully it gets re- re- you know turned out. Yeah, so we'll stay tuned on that. Appreciate you listening to the program. I'm out of time. If you're in Portland, keep it here. I'm going to roll with you on the pulse for another hour for Sean McPherson and Stephen Vaughn. Appreciate you listening to the BFT on the BFT Radio Network.